want a fucking car right fucking now. May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? You're fucked. I can't afford to be here This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. I'm Kyle Dotson. And Kyle, uh, good morning, Kyle. <laughs> good morning. How are you doing today? It seems like, uh, seems like you're on it, you're fresh. Yeah. Nope, not at all. No, you're showered. Uh, that's about the only thing that I've got going for me today. <laughs> uh, Kyle, today joining us in the guest co-host chair. You've heard his uh, voice on this show before. He was here when we did our, our live listening party episode. Mm-hmm. He is also the voice of the Shore Mike radio ads, if you want to call it. Do we call them radio ads? Podcast ads? Yeah. And he's also the host of his own podcast called Musical Notation. Please welcome Mr. West Anthony. West, how you doing? Fine, thanks. It's great to be back. It seems like only moments ago I was here. It seems like only moments ago that we were chatting with you and having a grand old time. <laughs> West, uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast, Musical Notation. Uh, it's a film music podcast that I'm in my third year, and uh, as uh, the, the title implies, uh, it is a film music podcast. I talk about all kinds of music from all kinds of movies, and it's not just uh, you know orchestral soundtracks or electronic soundtracks. It's also songs, such as the songs we'll be discussing today. Any music, whether or not it was originally written for a film, any mm-hmm. music that has ever appeared in a film is fair game, and I talk about all kinds of things in there. So it does not have to be an OST, which is a, a, an original soundtrack. Is that, what's the T for? Track? Original, yeah, soundtrack. I always that's, thought the soundtrack was one word. Yeah, well, I mean. It's weird, OST, but that's what it I is. I think it only became one word like over the years. Gotcha. But a long time ago, I mean, no, it, it, you only had two words. What's the, what's, in your opinion, the best original soundtrack, which means all the songs were written or given specifically just for the film. Oh my gosh. I'm going to tell you what mine is while you think of yours. I honestly can't think of one because it's like every soundtrack, even some of the, like the very best ones, some of my very favorites, they Mm -hmm. have songs that weren't actually written for the movie. Mm -hmm. They just like appear with like, you know, Pulp Fiction full of great songs, but uh, none of the songs were written for the movie. Uh, even like uh, Repo Man, which is one of my favorite soundtrack albums, one of my favorite albums, period. I love and adore every minute of that album. But, I, I, hear, I hear some passion in your voice. But it's all, most of it is stuff that, you know, appeared on other albums right. first. So I, I honestly can't think of one where all the songs were actually written for the movie. Now, I don't know if all the, the songs on the one I'm going to mention were written for the movie, but they're, to my knowledge, they were only on this soundtrack. You couldn't get them anywhere else by these artists. And the one I'm going to say is I love Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's a great one. I mean, that has amazing songs by Don Henley and, 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 and Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown. Boingo Boingo is in there. Quarter Flash. Just amazing stuff. I love it. Yeah. I love that soundtrack. 
I think actually now that you know, since we are on this subject, it suddenly occurs to me. I think Pretty in Pink. No, no, actually, you can't even say Pretty in Pink because that song, Pretty yes. in Pink, by the Psychedelic Furs, that was actually done like five years earlier. Yeah, they re-recorded, right. re-recorded it, it for this soundtrack album, but you still can't say that it's an original song. Ah. Now, we can find you on Twitter at Dr. West Anthony. Right. And is there also a musical notation Twitter yes. separate from that? Yes. Uh, you can find that at Notation Pod. Notation Pod. Yep. Okay. So seek out West Anthony's podcast and we'll, we'll promote it again at the end. But right now, I want to quick throw it to the booth where your doppelganger is in the booth right now. Uh, your clone, West Anthony, is in the booth with Steve O'Dockerson, and they're going to tell us a little bit about the Shure SM7B microphones, which we're using right now. Let's hear it. This episode of the Rock Solid Podcast is brought to you by Shure, the company behind some of the world's most iconic microphones, earphones, and audio products, including the legendary SM7B mic that we use to record Rock Solid. The SM7B offers perfect response for music and speech in all professional audio applications. Used to record Michael Jackson's Thriller album, engineers and artists continue to choose the SM7B for warm and rich vocals. And it also shines on just about anything you put through it, such as guitar, bass, kick drum, horns, and even as a hi-hat mic. (laughs) For 93 years, Shure has been the go-to company for roadworthy superior sound. Every member of the Rock Solid Podcast is proud to use the SM7B microphone because we care about bringing our listeners the best sound possible. All right, there we have it. Thank you. Very good. Okay, Wes, if, uh, if you wouldn't mind coming back to the microphone, are you there yet? Wait, I thought it was doppelganger was in the microphone. Stay where you are, clone <laughs> West Anthony. I don't like you. We want the real West Anthony. Uh, so before we start, the topic today is we're doing, I don't even have a title for the episode, the music of John Hughes films, or what, what should we call this? What should we call it? Should we do a? Should we do some fancy thing like according to? Uh, maybe we should find out how many songs we play. Let's say we play fifty songs, and we call this episode Fifty Candles." I don't like it. Um, the Music Club. No, I don't know what we call it. We'll just call it a tribute to John Hughes music. Home Rock. Alone Two, Lost in John Hughes music. <laughs> Rock Solid's Day Off. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that's what we're doing today. We're going to do the music, uh, the music that was featured in John Hughes' films. Uh, they could have been on the soundtrack, or they it might have been in the movie, but not on the soundtrack. So we're going to do all that kind of stuff. But before we do that, we're going to do a segment here that we call First Listen. And I have a song sent to us by Jeremiah Cassis. Uh, oh, he's a bullfrog. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you're, thinking of, you're thinking of a different Jeremiah. Oh, okay. Uh, but the band is called Civic in the Sun, and the song is called I Wouldn't Know. Now, I just want everyone out there to know that when someone sends me a song like this and I say we can feature it on first listen, I do tell them immediately. I say, look, we're not going to listen to this until we're recording, and we're going to judge it right in, in the... I go, three idiots who have no musical ability. I don't know if you have musical ability, West, but two idiots <laughs> and a guest host who have no musical ability are going to judge your labor of love just by listening to 30 to 45 seconds of it, mm-hmm. are you okay with that? And everyone always says, sure, yeah. which is good because that means they, they feel that what they have given us is great. And Killer mm-hmm. Deluxe was great. Yeah. And Crown Jewels was great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and some other ones that we now can't think yeah, of. I can't think of, but, but I don't think we've ever really dogged something, have we? 
nothing that a listener has sent us, but no. we've had stuff that like publicity people have sent us that wasn't yeah. great. All right. Well, let's listen to this. The song is called I Wouldn't Know, and the artist is Civic in the Sun, and we only have one song from them, so this is going to be their one and only shot to, to uh, make an impression on us and the listeners. So let's hear it from the top, Kyle. Kyle, what did you think of that? I liked that a lot. All right, West. <laughs> I liked it. I mean, it's really good. It's, it's kind of a throwback to the sort of uh, grunge era, which yeah. itself mm-hmm. is a throwback to you know earlier bands from the '70s like Led Zeppelin and mm-hmm. so forth. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was recorded really well. I, I thought it had a nice. Uh, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go old school, it had a stone cold groove, mm-hmm. and I liked the guy's voice. He wasn't. Um, it was grungy, but it wasn't like uh, a forced grungy. It sounds like a little bit like Jack White. If he did grunge. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. Like that and bad. like Alt-J a little bit, like yeah. kind of all mixed together. That's and here, I'm going to read the exact email that I send to people, just so you know. I, I kind of paraphrase it, but this is exactly what I send to people uh, for first listen. I say, please know that the first time we listen to the song will be right then and there on the show. We will then critique it based on our first listen. Sometimes it goes great and sometimes not so much. If you are willing to let a bunch of non-musician music fans judge your tune after hear, just hearing 60 to 75 seconds, then just send the MP3 and we will do this. And they were fine with it. Yeah. And that's that. I think that gets three thumbs up. Yeah. We like that. And so, I, I Googled them and they came up on the in-flight music group website. So okay. if, you, if you just type in Civic in the Sun, you'll find it. It has all the band members' names, has some info about them. So this is their new signal. This is like an upcoming thing. And Civic in the Sun, I kind of, I don't know what that means, but I kind of like that uh, yeah. group name. Yeah, it's cool. It's not, it's not, it's not super obscure or no. super long. And it's it not, and makes it's, not sense. it's not real short, like train. <laughs> uh-huh. Take a Civic <laughs> before I take a train. It sounds like it came out of a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, you mean the, uh, you know, the it's song like maybe title? like, uh, yeah, like they said, you know, oh, we're singing in the sun. And then somebody said, what did you say? Civic, Civic in, in the, the sun? sun? And then, and then they're like, ha, ha, that's in. funny. I thought, then, I thought you meant they parked their car for a long time in the sun and they got in and we're just like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> and, and, and their car was a Honda Civic. <laughs> yeah. It just burned. <laughs> 
All yeah, right, it could what, be that. It could be have to do with a, a, a hot car. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Jeremiah, for sending that. And you guys passed the the first listen test. So if this is available on iTunes or at other places, go out and buy some Civic in the Sun. So thanks, guys. All right. The music of John Hughes films. Um, I have a list of them. And we're going to, I think we're going to start with Vacation, correct, West? Yeah, that one, I mean, uh, it was directed by Harold Ramis. Right. But he wrote the screenplay for it. It was based, I think, on an article that he wrote for National Lampoon Magazine. Called uh, Vacation 58, I think was what the article was called. Yeah, and and the, the it was a very successful movie. Yeah, it was very successful. Spawned uh, three sequels, one good, two not so good. And a remake, too. And a remake, too. Oh, the remake was ghastly. I know you just watched it recently, didn't you? Yeah, you watched. It. Now Wes told me he watched all these films in preparation for really? this. Well, except for two, and he and he I was too busy watching the. Can I guess which two? Okay, Curly Sue. Yes, and <laughs> let me see here. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say career opportunities. I'm gonna say the final two. I'm gonna say the Great Outdoors. Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the great out. Because you told me that. <laughs> oh, that was going to be my other guess, but I was like, oh, maybe that one's good. Great Outdoors I, has Annette Benning is in it. I know. She That's plays like Ackroyd's wife, right? Yeah, one of her uh, her early uh, earliest roles. Yeah. All right, so. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so 1983, National Lampoon's Vacation. We're just going to play songs that we like that was uh, were featured in the film. And Wes, I'm going to let you, you're the, you're the guest, so I'm going to let you start us out. What are you going to play for us? Well, I mean, I definitely want to start out with the Lindsey Buckingham song because it's just, it's a fun, rollicking tune mm-hmm. and uh, we don't get rollicked enough these days. And so. I, I have to tell you, it's finally available on iTunes because for so long it was hard to even find this song, but you can get uh, Holiday Road on iTunes. That's weird that it would be unavailable to people. It's got, I think it's got the single artwork on there too. So anyway, play it, play it for us, Kyle. What's weird to me is Lindsey Buckingham does not have like a best of CD because if he had released a best of CD, let's say 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I think the fact that this song would have been on it would have, would have helped to sell that CD because this was a really hard song to find for quite a long time, in my opinion. I can't help but wonder if maybe there's some kind of licensing issue that's like maybe preventing him from being able to put it out himself. I know. I mean, he, it, it's on a live album of his, but you know, that's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. So. What were you going to say, Kyle? I was going to wonder, I was just, wh- what were your qualifications for this? Because like you didn't, you guys didn't do Mr. Mom. You didn't do. Um, Mr. Mom didn't have like a soundtrack. For not really. Songs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And also again, that's, that's one that uh, he wrote, but did not direct. Okay. But oh. it was the success of those two films, National, National Lampoon's Vacation and Mr. Mom, which I just watched last night. Uh, Mr. Mom? Yeah. Yeah. I watched that a couple weeks ago. What'd you think? Yeah. It's it it's good, but it's, it's dated. definitely dated. It's definitely it's dated. The, I mean, the whole concept of you know a stay at home dad that's 
that's something that's viable now. That's, it's not I, an I mean, it's not an issue. On the yeah. other hand, uh, the cliche of the incompetent dad who can't do anything right that's never gone away. I know. And I don't know why we can't get rid of it. I know, and it's so. And for me, who uh, a lot of my life is a stay at home dad, I find that to be so aggravating because it's like I hate when the dads. I've said this example before when the guy can't change a diaper he's got a clothespin on his nose and he's uh, the kids in the sink and he's yeah. hosing his the kids butt down with him um, come on and everything people. is falling apart i mean i'm not a dad but it, look i can do my own laundry yeah you can, i can do my yes. own cooking i yeah. bake you don't make it you don't make a toasted cheese sandwich with a hot iron <laughs> no no you don't <laughs> oh my god but anyway <laughs> but the uh, success of those yeah. first two films yes that's what got him a three picture deal mm-hmm. to write and direct yep. at Universal and make and, and, and come up with these great soundtrack films. So thank you, Kyle, for pointing out that there's no criteria, even though <laughs> there is a secret criteria. Okay. I was just curious. I I'm, didn't know. I'm going to play a song that was not on the soundtrack, but it's, uh, it's when they're driving and the kids throw on their, their Walkman headphones and you hear a little bit of the Ramones. Let's go. This movie also features the two best, um, Rusty and Audrey, I think. Yeah. Is that the kids' names? Yeah, Anthony I, Michael Hall? Yeah, I believe that's, that's. I know Rusty for sure. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, because. They change the kids every movie. Yeah, I, I think that's right. For some reason, yeah. I remembered Anthony Michael Hall being in European Vacation. No, no, no. He's which, in this But one. that's, that's true. This he one. wasn't. That and was the first vacation film I saw. I thought, that, I thought that remake of Vacation really missed an opportunity to feature all of those kids somewhere in the movie. I, I think it would have been hilarious if they would be at various places and the kids were like, oh, dad, and they'd turn around and it would be like, you know, like Johnny Galecki or something. Yeah, it's like, that doesn't look anything like me. Yeah. Why would you think that's me? I don't know. I just thought it was you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of, some missed opportunities there. Chris Hemsworth oh. was funny. Mm-hmm. You got another song from this soundtrack? Uh, no, those were the two that I picked. Actually, okay. you picked well, the same one that I did. I have, I have, uh, I have one more. I have uh, the other Lindsey Buckingham song. Called Dancing Across the USA. Was this during the end credits, maybe? Yep. Yeah. And if you buy it on iTunes, this is the B side of Holiday Road. This is on his best stuff. <laughs> it wouldn't be on an album called Greatest Hits, but it could be on the best of. Do you think Lindsey Buckingham did all those harmonies himself? I do. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. I do think he did. He's got, I mean, he's just such a consummate musician. You know, he's he is. got so much skill. He's a, he's a great singer. He's a great songwriter. He's a hellacious guitarist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can. Hellacious, use, you mean good? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> hellacious a, to me can mean bad. Oh, no, that's not the way I. I guess hellish. He's a hellish <laughs> guitar player. Um, I find Lindsey's music. Uh, solo music to be a, a little bit too experimental at times for my tastes, but everything he does with Fleetwood Mac, I love. Even Tusk, 
because that I was do, that I, was experimental as hell. I do <laughs> like Tusk though. I really, I really do like Tusk. Yeah, he went but nuts uh, on that. But it, yeah, there's, there's, there's still lots of great stuff. There's on still that. lots of great stuff on, on his solo albums too. Yep. Kyle, you're looking right now on the screen. We don't have the logo up there. We're actually playing the Criterion Collection of a, the Breakfast Club uh, with the sound down, obviously. <laughs> no, it sounds, sounds really loud. We're having a horrible time. Uh, does this have a slip thing? Case? No, I guess it this is something I could have asked you off the air. No, no, no. It doesn't have a slip case. Only, only the ones that um, don't come in a plastic case have a slip case. Mm. But yeah, Criterion does a great job. Okay, moving on. Uh, 16 Candles, written and directed by John Hughes. Tell us about the soundtrack, though. It's interesting about this soundtrack. What's weird is that there was never a full soundtrack album. They put out an EP. Five songs. Yeah, just five songs and that's it. But there's like a ton of other songs. There's like over 30 songs in the movie, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. Because really any party scene in a movie from the 80s, you're mm-hmm. going to have at least five songs. Right. Because like I remember in Say Anything, the, the party scene, that's, I think like half of the soundtrack album is taken up with songs that were just in that one scene. Because you get the cheap trick song yep. and the fishbone song; those are all great songs. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing with it's sixteen candles. A lot of the best songs were just like in one concentrated scene. <laughs> but I guess yeah, yeah, it could have been like a double album. Uh, they could have done that, and they could have. This is one of those things where I keep looking at all these movies, and and every year, you know, record store day comes around, and you know, these labels put together all these special packages for record store day, yeah. and it's like. 2016 was like the ideal time for them to put out like a 30th anniversary edition soundtrack for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yep. And that didn't happen. Nope. And I think it's, there was never a soundtrack album for that movie when it originally until, came out. Yeah, until just like last year. La La Land Records. Yeah. They, but only 5,000 copies were made. Yeah. But it, I'm pretty sure, you know, everybody bought one. Yep. I, well, you, maybe not. I don't know. You got one, didn't you? I got one. I got one too. But it's just... It's, it's insane. Out of all these movies, the one soundtrack I had always wanted the most was one for Ferris Bueller's Day Off and nothing. But finally. But finally. Yeah. And even that isn't 100% complete because, you know, the Beatles say no to a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, let's go. Uh, let's. What's your first tune from 16 Candles? Okay. Well, this was like a, an 80s staple on uh, K-Rock. There's a band called Altered Images. And this is, uh, this is actually the only song I know of from them. It's Happy Birthday. All right. And this is not on the soundtrack EP. Right. say that uh, I want to say that uh, John Hughes is no longer with us. Rock in peace, John Hughes. He died at the young age of 59 years old in, in 2009. Had a heart attack walking in New York City. Yeah, it's weird. It's I mean, tough. And not only that, but I mean, because he left us this this rich uh, trove of films. But then on top of all that, it's like 
he went away. Yeah. After a certain number of years, he just pretty much fell off the face of the earth. He and just stopped. I think he was doing directing. script doctoring and stuff like that. And, and he may not have even had to do that because no. I'm sure that you know, these movies made tons of money for him. Yeah, literally from 83 to, to 90, 91, which is the period of recovering, he was just yeah. everywhere all the time. Like yeah, it, I mean, between like 1984 and 1991, you know, it was like he wrote and directed seven movies. Yeah, it's nuts. And then he wrote and produced two others. Yeah. <laughs> so, a couple things that Chris Columbus. Incredibly prolific decade. Yeah. And then gone. Yeah. <laughs> And some of the later films feel like uh, things that he had written that were in a drawer and the studio said, well, what else do you got? And he's like, I got this. And they're like, yeah, let's make it. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. But uh, that's I'm, how Stephen King is, too. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Here's one about a car that comes alive. Okay, we love it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the song that was on the soundtrack. Uh, Wes sent me this soundtrack because it's not, the EP is not even available on iTunes. And, and the, these songs, I couldn't find them individually on iTunes either. So this is the uh, this is a remake of the song Sixteen Candles by the Stray Cats. Mm. West, I assume you have uh, you have another song that yeah and was is, not on the EP. Yes, there's another song that was it was in the one of the party scenes or the dan- the scene at the dance. I can't remember which one, but uh, it was Long Duck Dong in this scene. Uh, who knows? <laughs> he could have been in every one of those scenes. That's just uh, one of the, the the more problematic issues of that movie. It's it's only slightly more acceptable than Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> you know, at least in this case, it was played by a legitimate Asian actor. Yes, so it's just that, got name, that going that for name it. is rough. The name, and then not only that, but almost every time he appears in a scene, a gong goes off. Hero! It's like, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I mean, there's there's good things in the movie, too. Yes. I mean, you know, again, Molly Ringwald, it was like a star-making performance. And also, you know, Paul Dooley as her dad. For a while there... Paul Dooley was America's dad, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, yeah. remember him in Breaking Away sure. in 79? Oh, it's, it's a fantastic performance. That's like, you look at this guy, everybody wants him to be their dad. Yep. <laughs> and, and he was also Wimpy in the Popeye movie. And I assume yeah. Wimpy had a bunch of illegitimate children because he would fuck you for a hamburger. <laughs> so <laughs> I would gladly fuck you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Uh, all right. But, so uh, what, what do we, yeah. So, uh, I chose Oingo Boingo. Okay. I know that they did the, the theme song for weird science, mm-hmm. but I didn't pick that one. Cause honestly, I think that's a pretty weak Oingo Boingo song. Well, we'll be hearing it later. Well, uh, right, yeah, I kind of figured somebody else would pick <laughs> it, but I just, this song is from their, their second album, uh, 1982's nothing to fear. It's an album that I absolutely love. And it's called, uh, the song is called wild sex in the working class. All right.
And Wes, you can feel free to give Kyle the sign when you want him to uh, turn that down a little bit. I don't ever want anybody to turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a little stats about the film 16 Candles. Budget was $6.5 million, made $23.7 million. That doesn't sound like a, a lot now, $23 million. But in 1984 dollars. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's really, that's very respectable. Big time, big time. Okay, my next song, and again, I'm sticking with the EP. West is not, which is cool, because then we get a lot of stuff. Otherwise, we'd just hear the whole EP. This is an artist, Annie Golden, and this is a song called Hang Up the Phone. love that song that's just fun that is really good i know yeah. you can't help those you basically chose a couple of songs with a very retro vibe although actually yeah. 16 candles is a song from the 50s or early yeah. 60s somewhere around there and this song has very much of a sort of girl group vibe from like the early 60s absolutely. that i like very much absolutely so uh that's it for uh that's it for 16 candles isn't it did you play two yep yep sometimes i forget how many people play <laughs> all right we're moving to 1985 uh he is writer director again for a movie that is just ending on this big screen right there, The Breakfast Club. Let me give you the stats before we even start on this. Because I, I, I kept looking up there thinking, oh, this movie couldn't have cost any money at all to make. It's, it's seven actors, basically, where the parents at the beginning and end picking the kids up. Yeah. And it's totally isolated. And the budget was $1 million. That sounds about right. And this it, thing made $51 million. Very popular in 1985. He, he, he solidified his... Uh, him, being able to make many, many more movies with just this one. It's an iconic film for our generation. But I think that it's it's gone on to be an iconic film for uh, later generations as well. A lot mm. of people seem to be able to identify with the stuff that goes on in this movie. Did you um, did you feel that this movie held up when you rewatched it? For the most part, yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple things there that uh, you know, as I mentioned uh, before, I think we before we started, you know, Molly Ringwald wrote a piece uh, in the New Yorker. It talks about some of the more sort of problematic issues with the movie, namely that, you know, her character is basically subjected to sexual harassment by, you know, Judd Nelson's character throughout the movie, which isn't too cool. But, you know, a lot of other stuff in there is 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 fine. I've always kind of had an issue mm -hmm. with uh, Emilio Estevez's character. You know, he's, he's, you know, a wrestling jock type. And then right. his whole story is that, you know, he feels guilty about something that he did to like, you know, a weaker kid in the locker room. Yeah. And uh, as a former weaker kid in the locker room, I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. If, I think that, I think people that, I think those guys that feel guilty about that, they don't feel guilty about that until they're older and they have, their kid happens to be the kid that they right. treated poorly. That's when I think they feel guilty. But yeah. Um, but the Judd Nelson character, as far as sexually harassing, um, verbally sexually harassing Molly Ringwald, I mean, I, I knew those type of kids were in my high school, and it doesn't feel like something that they wouldn't say and do in, in, no. an, in an isolated situation no, like it, this. It, it is more or less kind of what you would expect from that era. Yeah. 
and there are sympathetic elements to that character as well because he does come from from an abusive home and that's another thing that i identified with very yeah. strongly myself so and that's the kind of the interesting thing is that i could see aspects of myself in three out of the five characters mm -hmm. you know uh, judd nelson's character and anthony michael hall's character and ali sheedy's character that they, they all had that kind of broken misfit nerdy quality that i had when i was growing up and so that that part of it really spoke to me which what's what is great now in 2018 if you have that nerdy quality it doesn't matter so much anymore no you know what i mean things it, things we, we've definitely made some progress on on certain fronts yeah. sociologically when i watch when i pick my daughter up at high school every day and i watch the the kids coming out i see all i see all the breakfast club members come out but no one is um but no one's alone. Like everyone has uh, their their group of friends. No one. Yeah. Not, the, you know Judd I mean? Nelson's walking out with the Anthony Michael Hall kid in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but but there's a couple of Anthony Michael Halls in the trash yeah. can. They're, they're all buddies. So. <laughs> but okay, let's hit the Breakfast Club. Um, uh, what do you What do you got for us? What song do you have? Okay. Well, I mean, I know we're saving one for the end. We're saving one for the end because I I kind of feel the one we're saving as the playout song. For me, it felt like the most iconic of all oh absolutely all the songs in these films so yeah. you can guess what it is but uh we'll play it at the end but so what else do you got for us but okay so the other one i picked was a song by wang chung which uh, i i liked very much it's uh, from the the scene where they're running around in the hallways uh, trying to uh, avoid uh, the, the wrath of paul gleason and it's just a really good song wang chung is just one of those those bands that they, they had a couple of hits mm -hmm. and you know we know about them and we don't know much else at right. all but they were they, they had a certain degree of popularity yeah, friends at, of the show they, they were both on the show so wang and chung both yeah. of them so this song is called fire in the twilight long duck wang was on here <laughs> pick that song okay that's a great song yeah and wang chung has the unique distinction of being one of the few bands to have a video banned uh, on, on various television outlets but not because of like you know mm -hmm. sex or raunchiness but because they were afraid it would give people epileptic seizures oh boy what, what song was that it's a uh, you know that song uh, everybody have fun tonight it's like their biggest hit oh yeah because they because yeah. yeah what they did was they they shot like they they shot footage of the musicians like twice and then they just did this quick editing back and forth. It's you really can see cool. it online. It's really it, cool. It looks yeah. incredibly freaky and insane. And it, it actually pops out of the screen. It, it helps, you know, do you to appreciate the song because the song is really just a nice a kick ass uh, rock song. But yeah, they were afraid that the video would like, you know, hurt people. Yeah. Every time I watch that video, I fall on the floor and foam at the mouth. But it's great. It's worth it. Do you have rabies? <laughs> I'm having a seizure. 
Uh, okay, the uh, my turn. I again, I picked that song too. But the other one I picked was from Carla Devito. You know her from the Bat Out of Hell videos. She is not the voice for those songs. Ellen Foley is, but uh, Carla Devito, married to Robbie Benson, he's the Beast, the voice of the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. I think yeah. he actually wrote this song. This is called "We Are Not Alone." A lot of Carla Devito uh, info today. <laughs> Things are clear and black and white The living color tends to dull our sight Like dynamite Just imagine my surprise When I looked into your eyes and saw Through your disguise If we dare expose our hearts Just reveal the purest thoughts That's when strange sensations start to grow So why wasn't Ellen Foley in those videos? Uh, because Ellen didn't. Uh, Ellen wasn't going to tour with them. Carla was touring with them. Okay. So in order for you know people when they went to see the tour to not be like, right. wait a minute. Okay. Just, so it's, that's it's, what happened. It's visual continuity. Yes. Okay, I get yeah. it. Because it's not like Ellen Foley has no experience in front of cameras. Right, exactly. <laughs> She's a Broadway musical actress too, if I believe. And she was on. She was on Night Court. Yeah. Exactly. So. It's like easy her. on the eyes. Oh, yeah, but she's a great singer, too. I don't have any of her solo work. Is it good? Do you have some Ellen Foley solo music? Actually, the only thing I have from Ellen Foley was that she did a duet with Joe Jackson. What song is that? That was Happy Endings. It was on his uh, uh, Body and Soul album, 1984. I didn't know that she, uh, for some reason, that eluded me. Okay, good. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great album overall. What's your uh, What's your next song? Well, again, I don't have any more songs from the Breakfast That's it. Club because I because we, we played both Wang. Picked, Ch- we both picked Wang Chung, and then yeah, and I picked uh, you know Simple Minds, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Which we're gonna hear later. Yeah. Okay, we're moving on to now. I'll just uh, just for just to let everyone know, after Breakfast Club, John Hughes wrote uh, European Vacation, which I think stinks, <laughs> and it's it shouldn't stink. Amy Heckerling. Uh, directed it right and john hughes was back as a writer but it's just it's just not good in my opinion yeah it, so, it i just remember that my favorite parts were the parts with eric idle yeah where he basically just gets beat up throughout yep. the movie accidentally but that, that was that was a movie i saw i saw when it came out mm-hmm. and that was like so did i that was the, this, there was this one day 1985 where i saw five movies in one day which is is easy to do now at home but in the theaters it was it was kind of a trick did you sneak around? Did yeah. you sneak? Okay. <laughs> you paid for one. Right. And you snuck around. Yeah. We used to do that. Yeah. It was a six theater complex. We saw five out of the six movies. I remember when I went to see, we saw, we would go see a comedy. Like we saw Blues Brothers. They would let you stay in the theater if you didn't, and, and see it again. Oh yeah. Yeah. They used to do that. Yeah. yeah my, my kid brother and I, we saw Flash Gordon like two and a half times. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that halftime, you're like, okay, I'm done. I can't see it again. Okay, so this is Weird Science. This is uh, this is the second film written and directed by John Hughes in the same year. Yeah, I mean that's how prolific this guy was. It was just crazy. This was made for seven and a half million, and it made thirty eight point nine million. I hate this movie. I hated it. I who's the other kid? Ian Mitchell Smith. Hate him. The only reason that I liked watching this movie is because Kelly LeBrock is so 
stunningly hot in this movie. But I really, and I loved Anthony Michael Hall back in the day, but I just, I hated this movie. Yeah, it's, I don't think the, it's. The thing is, when you see the other films that John Hughes did first, when you see 16 Candles and you see The Breakfast Club, and, you know, people are praising these movies for their realism, and, you know, which I guess maybe, I mean, 16 Candles is not necessarily as realistic, but yeah. I mean, it's. But I mean, as, it's supposed to be real. Yeah, but, and it's, it's, it has a very, you know, sort of sympathetic treatment of its characters and all that kind of stuff. And then you get into this movie, yeah. and this movie is a cartoon. It is a cartoon. <laughs> And it's like, it's, it's kind of not what we want from yeah. John Hughes at, yeah. at, you know, at, at this point. We, we, we like the realistic stuff. Yeah. Bill Paxton's the older brother of one of the kids and he's, yeah. a, he's a bully. And does he become a shit monster in this? Is he just a big pile of poop at yeah, one I, point? I think that's what it's supposed to be. Oh, it's, I, I just, I was, and I was disappointed because, uh, you know, I would go see a movie that had John Hughes's name on it. I, I didn't need to know what it was going to be. Right. I, I thought I knew what I was going to see. And this was like, pff, nope. I think I've only ever seen this once, and it was the one time I saw it at the theater. So yep. I'll start since I have the theme song. Let's hear uh, Weird Science by Oingo Boingo. I don't hate this song. You don't like it, though. Well, I don't dislike it, mm -hmm. but it's like it's far from their, their best song. Sounds that's like, the thing. Sounds like you hate it. No, no, no. Because <laughs> that's the thing. There's, you know, there's some artists, unfortunately, like their best-known song mm -hmm. is not their best song by True. a long shot. You know, like Warren Zevon is best-known for uh, Werewolves of London. Yeah. It's like, that's not even closely. He's written tons of better yeah, songs Lloyd, than that. Songs on that same album are better. Yeah. this movie hold up at all for you it didn't hold up the first time i saw it <laughs> but you watched it again yeah i know but you know it, it, were you it doing other things better were you doing your taxes were you doing something else while no, it was no, on i did my taxes months ago are you kidding? <laughs> no i just uh yeah that's it's just one of those things that you know some movies don't hold up and some movies weren't that great to begin with yeah. but but you know uh oingo boingo has always been one of my favorite bands but it, this just isn't one of my favorite songs of theirs i've, I've seen i've seen them live twice they never played this song. That's funny because you would think that they would. Well, maybe they did at first. Mm -hmm. By the time I saw them, the first uh, I saw them in 87 and 88. Mm -hmm. And I think by that time, maybe that weird science moment had passed mm -hmm. and they were just, you know, moving on to other things. So, but, uh, and, you know, they've been gone for a long time now. now do, you, do you know the comedian, uh, uh, Laura House? I do know Laura House. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she's, uh, she's friend of my wife. She's uh, been a PLR student many times. She's, I guess she had been dating one of the guys in the horn section for Oingo Boingo. And then I just heard that uh, they got engaged. I didn't know he was in the horn section of Oingo Boingo. Would yeah. he be, would he be, he wouldn't be an original member though. I don't know. I don't, cause she never named him. So I don't know mm -hmm. which one it is. I think his name's Bobby Oingo. <laughs> I was hoping it was Sluggo. <laughs> so then she could say, she, she, could, she could say that I'm, I'm Mrs. Sluggo. <laughs> I am Laura Sluggo. Uh, now there's two bands that I've never taken seriously as as bands, and I don't know why I why I missed these two bands or why they don't 
I don't know, but can I guess the Bay City Rollers? No, 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 they're fantastic. Can I guess yes. Boingo, 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 and the Rock of Fire Explosion? <laughs> no, Boingo, Boingo, and B, and the B fifty twos. Really? Now, for some reason, well, I can, I can. See I don't know why they seem like. In my head, I don't take them seriously as as bands. Why is that? Is it because I only know rock lobster and it a couple may, other songs. I don't know the, the deep it, dive on these bands. It may be because they're just generally perceived as party bands. Yes. You know? Cause like they probably Boingo's like most well-known song is dead man's, dead party. man's party. And of course, you know, B 52s, it's all about, you know, yeah. Rock lobster. And mm-hmm. then, uh, uh, love shack, which yeah. is just, just a fun song. They're, I don't, I don't not like, I don't, band. I don't not like those songs. I've even seen the B 52s live. Uh, they toured with the pretenders pretenders opened, which I thought was weird. Oh, but, wow. um, I yeah. saw the Pretenders open for U2 in 87. Well, that makes sense, I think. And then Steve Jones opened for them. Was <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But um, yeah, so I, I guess I need to take a little deep dive on both of those bands and see what I think. I think they're, they're both excellent bands. Uh, and, you know, Danny Elfman is just, he, he's got all kinds of really great sort of off-kilter yeah. musical ideas. And obviously a genius because, I mean, he scores films and I'm sure you've, yeah, talked, on, you've talked about him many times in musical notation, I'm sure. Oh, sure. I've, I have a recurring series of, uh, of episodes because of, he's collaborated on films with Tim Burton mm-hmm. since like the Tons, beginning. Of this. Yeah. There's only like two that they didn't do together. What were so, those movies? Were those the two that are good? Well, there was Sweeney Todd, because, of course, you know, right. that's, that's yes. a musical. And then the other one, uh, which I just talked about, because I just did an episode about the, that, that period, was um, Ed Wood. Yeah. And that's because they One they of my a, favorite it's Tim his, Burton it's movies. It's his best, his, his best movie, as far as I'm concerned. And, yeah. And unfortunately, they had, they had fallen out at that time. So okay. that's why hmm. Elfman didn't work on that film. And Howard Shore wrote the music for it. And he did a great job. Yeah. So, but then, you know, they patched up their differences, whatever they were, and they got back together in time to do Mars Attacks. Elfman's kind of become the Roger Deakins of film scores now. Because yeah. they're just like, hey, can you just do this? Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, like Girl on the Train. He was like, he's kind of like a chameleon now. They're just like, we just want this to sound like Gone Girl. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> he's like, he's really But, you know, any, any <laughs> decent composer like any decent cinematographer should be able to work in all kinds of different idioms mm-hmm. and styles and give you whatever it is that you want. Yeah. You know, some, some people end up getting known for doing only one thing and then that's all anybody asks of them. Yeah. But you know, if you're trained and, and you know what you're doing, you can do all kinds of different things. So we're all in agreement that Tim Burton is not a great filmmaker. He's a great visual stylist. Yes. He's like an art director. Yeah. He's not good with story. I mean, I only like really, I, I think I only like three Tim Burton films. I like Ed Wood. Ed Wood is, is I like great. Ed, Ed, Scissor Hands. That is a great movie. Ed Wood, Scissor Hands. Um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is good. Yeah, that's a good movie. Um, I didn't like Big Fish. A lot of people like Big Fish. There's I, probably, there's probably another one in there that people. Uh, yeah, I, didn't, I, I like more than, than I, than when I think about it that I do. Like I like Nightmare Before Christmas, even though everyone loves that movie now. Well, okay. Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas is a great movie. That's a great movie. Um, but also that he wasn't as hands on with that because he didn't direct right, it. He well, came up right. With the yeah. Story. Yeah. He wrote it, I guess. I'm talking about like once he's directed, like, like he, I like Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is a very good movie. I just watched. That I haven't seen recently. it for a long time. Yeah, it's it's good. But I, I think maybe partially that's because it's it's sort of him getting to indulge something that he really loves, like those, yeah. those these gory hammer horror films right. of the late sixties and the seventies. That's that was like a particular thing that he enjoyed. But and like, then he was able to bring that to the screen with Sleepy Hollow. But like when I heard he was doing uh, 
Dark Shadows, that seemed like a perfect fit. And that movie's abysmal. Yeah, I think because uh, 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 he's just turned into a franchise hack at yeah. this point. I'm well, sorry. Well, I think I think now he just kind of because uh, if you kind of look at his back and forth, it's like a lot of times it's like one thing he really wants to do, and then like something that is like studio. They're like, here are four scripts, pick one, and then you can make yeah. your. But which he shouldn't have to do. But I think kind of. That's we, just how it is. We now. don't have time to get into it right now, but I feel like because we're talking about John Hughes, but yeah. I know we've gone on a tangent, but I feel like a lot of his movies have not made big money. For for him yeah. to still be getting a list projects, it's well, Alice in, Alice in Wonderland made a ton of money. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Dark Shadows didn't do well. Uh, that last thing that he did, uh, the Home for Peculiar Children or something like that, that that one, yeah. I think didn't do very well, but when you have something like Alice in Wonderland that makes just tons of money that can carry you for that a while. Carry you for and a while. now he's doing this Dumbo thing, which I'm yeah. not looking forward to at all, yeah. but you know, it's I Disney like, and Disney's I got this regular Dumbo. <laughs> no, the, come on. The original Dumbo cartoon is great. It, it like creeped me out as a kid. Like it's kind of sad and scary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, that was the thing with those Disney cartoons is that there was always something in there that you would go, Jesus Christ, this is for children? Like, I mean, like <laughs> Bambi's mother gets murdered, you know? Uh, and Pinocchio, oh my God. The Pinocchio in the scene yeah. where Lampwick turns into a donkey. Mm-hmm. First time I saw that, it scared the living daylights out yeah. of me. And I was 25. <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. not making a joke here. But it was Snow- when they really... It's, they, real, it's real creepy. They poisoned Snow White. Lots of great stuff. Yeah. I think Putin poisoned her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, next song. Oh, we need the Putin? We, we need the Putin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we've only played Weird Science, so it's your turn, my friend. Okay, uh, so let's see. Now, yeah, that's right. I have, we haven't played any songs from, no, just from Weird, Weird Science. Science. Okay. So now both of my songs in this case are from the soundtrack album. Okay. And first is uh, a Wall of Voodoo. This is a song that they did after uh, their original uh, leader uh, and lead singer and principal songwriter, Stan Ridgway, decided to uh, split off on a solo career, which so, is such a strange move because they were never that big yeah. to begin with. <laughs> but G- Give me the initials of the new singer. Uh AP Andy E Preboy. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so uh so this is uh one of their first uh, efforts with him. Uh this song is called Deep in the Jungle. So they still have the the, the drum machine yeah. and the bargain basement sounding keyboards yeah. and the jagged guitars that they have always had. And now they just have a, a different singer who it always sounds like he's trying to be a cross between Stan Ridgway and Fred Schneider of the B-52s. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that singing style. Like that, that seems like anything that anyone at this table could mimic in, yeah. in a studio. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know that too many people want to. No. So. Not, yeah. Wall of Voodoo, I am not going to take a deep dive on. I, I'm 
fine with the the two songs I know, yeah. Mexican Radio and the one you just played. Yeah, they only did two albums before Stan Ridgeway left the band and started. I wish I was in Tijuana. Shut up. <laughs> I wish you were in Tijuana too and never recorded again. All right, my song, my next song from Weird Science is by a band called Taxi, T-A-X-X-I. The song is called Forever. That long summer, so many promises were made. Alone in my bedroom, we made love in the shade. You went your way and I went back. But the memories will last for a long, long time. You went your way and I went back. But the memories will last forever. I don't know anything about that band. I know that they can't spell taxi. <laughs> they should have made it really risque and made it T-A-X-X-X-I, triple X, taxi. What's your next song? <laughs> Call it Tax Evasion. Ooh, he did his many, many, many months ago. What does, um, yeah, I feel like you're a guy that looks forward to doing your taxes. I don't look forward to it. Yeah, I, I, I look do. I look forward to getting the refund. That's what I look for. Yeah. So that's why you want to do it. Although I get the feeling that maybe those days are over. But uh, <laughs> do you uh, do you submit it electronically? Yeah. All right. And yeah. what is your social security number? No. <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. What's your next song off Weird Science? Okay. The next one is uh, it, this was another staple on on KROQ here in in Los Angeles back in in those days. It's a from a UK band called Killing Joke. It's called Eighties. Listen to this one. good tune one of the best things to come out of uh, weird science <laughs> all right and uh come as you are is the best thing to come out of that it's the same uh it's the same riff. um kind of got sued almost really yeah oh boy we're moving on yeah moving on to the first film uh of, of 1986 for john hughes he does not direct this but i think a lot of people i think think he directed pretty in pink uh, yeah, probably a lot of people do. Yeah, because Andy, uh, not Andy, not, what am I talking about? What's her name? Molly Ringwald's in it. And it just feels like a movie that he directed. But Well, yeah, and also because everybody thinks of these three films, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, and Pretty in Pink as a sort of trilogy, trilogy yeah. 
for Molly Ringwald and John Hughes. Yeah. So right. I think that that's why people sort of mistakenly get the idea that he directed it as well. But no, he he only he only wrote and yeah. produced the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Made nine million dollars. I mean, I'm sorry. Budget was nine million. It made forty million. These are all successes. Oh yeah. I mean, that's although even nine million seems like a bit much. I don't know why they spent that much money on maybe it. They, maybe the actors maybe. wanted more money at the time mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. Maybe. But uh, like you said, this uh, Pretty in Pink, we talked about it before we were recording, and you said how it's, um, you know, Molly Ringwald's character is supposed to be poor. Right. But she lives in a house. She has a car. Yeah. She seems to have makeup and everything that uh, any other girl needs. Yeah, I mean, okay, so she has to make her own clothes, but I mean, well, I mean, even she probably doesn't even have to do that. It's just something that's that she's passionate about. Yeah. And so I, I can't I can imagine why some, you know, jerk offs in high school would make fun of you for something like that. But I, I personally, I find that admirable. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a big deal. But yeah, having a car and living in a house, you know, just, OK, so you're on the literal wrong side mm -hmm. of the tracks. I mean, yeah. you know, there's tracks, there's tracks in the movie and a train goes by. Them. It's, <laughs> but it's I don't know. I, I don't it, it just doesn't feel hundred percent authentic to me because yeah. I remember, you know, growing up when kids, you know, they, they didn't have cars and they lived in apartments and or trailer parks and stuff like that. Yeah. So I feel like that's one issue that some people might have with John Hughes films is that he doesn't really seem to have a handle on people other than upper class white people in suburban Illinois. And, and there's uh, the people of color are not really in these films that much either. No, they are not. And, uh, <laughs> but I can say growing up in small town, Pennsylvania, there was only one um, African-American kid in my whole entire high school. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, but but in Chicago suburb, he would have been more, there would have been more, he would have come in contact with African-American people. Well, it I depends really, on which Chicago suburb. Well, that's true. But I know. mean, if he went to the city or anywhere in the outlying areas, like for, um, there was, there's, there's still very white where we live. Yeah. If we go to, if we go back home and go to yeah. the mall, they're not, a lot of people of color. It's not our fault. We didn't, we didn't build a wall around Holidaysburg. Yeah, it's like and, the peanuts. Yeah, and, and again, it's like it, peanuts. Well, they come on. They got Franklin. Yeah, but <laughs> that's at, what I mean. At <laughs> least you know, oh, like yeah. I said, yeah. at least in we had a lot of dirty candles, people though. A lot of pig pens. At least in Sixteen Candles, you know that 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 character was played by an Asian actor, like and you not said, yes, because that's Absolutely. that's something that you know Hollywood has had no qualms with doing in the past. You know, what am or I currently? Well, yeah, well, but you know, now there's a lot more pushback about that kind of thing. There should, but, I mean, as geez, there should be. You know, one of my favorite film noir movies is a uh, Touch of Evil, directed by Orson Welles mm -hmm. in 1958. They could put up a mural for that movie in, in Venice, which you can go and, and look at because that's where they shot a lot of the movie. It's supposed, although it's supposed to be like a Mexican border town, but they okay. shot it in, in Venice. But, you know, Charlton Heston is playing a Mexican police detective. Okay. And see, and I mean, the, he's, I'm going to take a siesta. He's literally playing this role in brown face. Oh, and uh, I mean, it's, it's a great movie. There's a lot of great stuff in it, but I'm always, always going to deduct two points okay. off for, for that. I want to sink my teeth into that roll and into a taco. <laughs> okay. Pretty in pink soundtrack. This was the one I had the most trouble narrowing it down to two songs. I, I, this is my favorite, possibly my favorite John Hughes soundtrack. It is my favorite John Hughes soundtrack. Then I'll say it is mine also. Because it, it, it's chock full of great songs, and yet neither of the songs that I'm going to play are actually on the soundtrack album. Oh, wow. That's going to be really... Because I picked five, but I'm only going to play two. But I was hoping that you would have picked something I did, and I could 
throw it away, but now I can't. So go ahead. What do you oh, got for no. us? Okay. Well, the first one is, uh, I mean, it's just, it's an iconic scene with John Cryer, who is just, I, I don't know if you've read his uh, uh, autobiography. So that happened. Uh, it's, no, I'm not a fan of John Cryer. Oh, really? I, mean, I hated this character in this movie. Oh, I hate Ducky. No, I, I love Ducky. What about you Long are, Ducky Dong? <laughs> <laughs> you are in the minority there, my friend. That's, he's, he's an iconic character. I so know, many people I, love him. So many people wanted to see him, uh, you know, win with, yeah. with, with Molly Ringwald at the end of I the movie. I find him so fucking annoying in that movie that that's why he didn't win. Oh, no, no <laughs> actually it was, it was the test audience that was why he didn't win. So oh, what did the test audience say? The test, they were fully you. Yeah, they were fully, it was me no, and all my buddies. Look, you know, it was the Reagan 80s. They wanted to see uh, the, 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 the rich kid win. Yeah, they wanted to see her go off with the rich guy. I so they changed the ending. It wasn't a rich or poor thing with me. I just found Ducky annoying. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, no, I, I... But I know this scene, and this is an iconic scene. Yeah, it's just... Uh, it's So there's a song that... And I can understand why they didn't put this song on the soundtrack, because the soundtrack is very much of its time, and this is a, a classic vintage R&B yep. tune from the late 60s. It's Otis Redding with Try a Little Tenderness. Oh, hold on. Oh, here. It's all the way at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Young girls, they do get weary Wearing that same old shaggy dress Yeah, yeah But when she gets weary Try a little tenderness Yeah, yeah And he lip syncs this to her in the record store Yeah, yeah She's waiting just anticipating. Is the footage, can you see the footage, uh, the different footage from Pretty in Pink? Is it out there? Like when he wins, whatever whatever was cut or whatever was tweaked? No, I've never seen it. I don't think it's any bonus feature or anything like that. They might have have burned it. (laughs) Who knows? In fact, that was part of the, the... the impetus behind one of his later films that he did like the year after or two years after uh, some kind of wonderful, mm-hmm. it was an attempt to, to rectify what he, he the, the ending of pretty in pink. He wanted to see the two, you know, poor kids who were, you know, shunned and, and yeah. shit on to get together and thumb their noses at all the rich kids and walk off hand in hand. And, you know, spoiler alert, that's what happens in some kind of wonderful, but it didn't happen in pretty in pink and it was supposed to, but the test audience said, you know, and I'm pretty sure that film is also directed by Howard Deutsch. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, and then after he doesn't win, Ducky goes and lives with his uncle Luther. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Oh, they, no. make, they make Nuclear Man. <laughs> now there, there is a terrible movie. Gad Zooks. You can see that footage. That footage is available. But why would you well, want to? Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> All right, I'm going to choose probably what I think is maybe the <laughs> second most iconic song from a John Hughes film. It's by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, OMD. This is If You Leave.
love that song. Still love that song. It is a great song. Yeah. It's probably, I'm pretty sure it's their biggest hit. And yeah. um, it's it's very uncharacteristic of the rest of their output. In fact, some of their fans were like, you know, sell out when yeah. they, they heard this song. Because before this, their their big song was a song about dropping the atom bomb in World War II. <laughs> so this is this is very different subject it's, matter. It's very it's very tricky when you when you have a fan base and you're doing a certain type of music and then you get offered to do a big soundtrack and then your song is not you know when your big song is not what you normally do. Yeah, it is tricky. I mean, you want them to have. You want your favorite band to have big success, sure. But then at what cost? But I mean, but you know, I I think it worked out for them. And you know, they just you want to, as an artist, you want to be able to take it to the next level. And yeah. if that opportunity comes, and you know, you do it. And boy, they they really took that opportunity because they were about when they the the call came in requesting them to to write a song mm-hmm. for Pretty and Pig, they were about to embark on a tour. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have a lot of time. They just basically locked themselves away in a studio and banged this out in twenty four hours. Wow. Handed it over and said, okay, guy, bye. We got to go on tour. Bye, we got to go on tour. tour. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, how did this movie hold up for you, Pretty in Pink? This movie, uh, there again, it's one of those things that that I have issues with. Again, the whole thing with the ending is problematic. Yeah. But then also, then as an adult, seeing the movie later, I've seen the movies you know, a few more times over the, the, the years. The thing that really bugs me, because my favorite character is Annie Potts' character. Ah, Annie Potts is great. She is awesome. And then when that scene comes where she's basically turned into like, you know, a Reagan 80s zombie to get a guy, it's heartbreaking. I know it's supposed to be some kind of magical breakthrough moment for her, but it's to me, it's not. I say Ducky should have been putting the moves on Annie Potts. Well, yeah, I mean, he did for a minute there. Uh, He should have kept going. Yeah, I would have. Oh my God, I just, I love that character. And then just to see how that gets turned around uh, in, in the third act, it was. It's really unsatisfying to me. Yeah, this was my creepy voice. Yeah, oh, you should put that. Any pots, right, Kyle? Yeah, I've never seen this movie. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> have you seen uh, be all the other movies? Have you seen so far? Not Weird Science. I've never seen Weird Science. Never seen Sixteen Candles. Never right. seen Pretty in Pink. All right. Well, pretty soon I think you're going to see one. But <laughs> yeah, let's see what what's your next song off Pretty in Pink. I'm going to narrow mine down. Okay. Now the funny thing is there is a New Order song on the soundtrack album and it's a fairly popular one, but they had another song in the movie that uh, wasn't on the album. And that's the one that I like because uh, it's, it's a thing where uh, a five minute edit ended up on one of their albums, but the full length version is like 17 minutes long. Oh, that's too much. And they wrote it for uh, Ian Curtis. I don't know who, who was Ian Curtis is. The, the lead singer for Joy Division. That was the band that New oh, Order okay. used to be. They were yeah. started out as Joy Division and then the lead singer committed suicide and then they decided to carry on as New Order. And they wrote this song for him. And it appears in the scene after, you know, after uh, the, the sort of big argument that uh, Molly Ringwald's character has with her dad, played by the incomparable Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. And then she goes into her room and then this song is playing and it's called Elegia. Is Michael Myers coming? Yeah. <laughs> I mean Mike Myers. Dr. Evil. Maybe get a cue point next time, West. <gasps> Just take it from the top for 45 seconds. Do me to jump ahead? Is it? If you want to. I think jump if you ahead, jump ahead. ahead. Oh, look at that. 
Is this an instrumental? Oh, it is. Yep. Okay. All right. And if you can, imagine it going on for 17 minutes because that's... I cannot. <laughs> yeah, the five-minute edit works a lot better for some people because it really doesn't change yeah. over the course of those 17 minutes. It's basically just that. Atmospheric. But I, I really like it a lot. And also what was really funny is that... Um, and it may have something to do with its appearance in this movie, which is from the 80s. Uh, this song also appeared in an episode of Stranger Things. Oh, that's cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. I would have never... Uh, I would have never... Put that together. Oh, okay. Well, that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. <laughs> By the way, I want to tell people that, um, uh, West, you are a, a Patreon supporter, uh, but this is not your Patreon episode. I, I invited you here to you, do this. And I'm, I'm thrilled and delighted to have been invited. So you, you, you will still be back later with an episode of your choosing. I just want to let people know that. All right. I'm going to say apologies now to In Excess for Do What You Do. Love that song. Apologies to Echo and the Bunnymen for Bring on the Dancing Horses. Apologies to Danny Hutton Hitters for Wouldn't It Be Good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the obvious choice, and we're going to hear the Psychedelic Furs with their re-recorded version of Pretty in Pink. I assume the the record company wouldn't let Psychedelic first use the original version, and that's why they re-recorded it. It's, it's the only the, thing I can think of. Yeah, but also this version has a saxophone, which I believe the original did not. Oh, that there's another that's another good reason West is here. <laughs> uh, David Wilde recently saw the Psychedelic first. He said they were f- great. Our friend, our monthly friend at poker, J.P. Manu, saw Psychedelic first, and he said they were awful. So. <laughs> I don't know if anyone out there has seen them recently. Have Did you, they both they, see the same show? I don't know if they saw oh. the same show, but I know uh, I know it went from great to awful. So Sometimes a band can have an off night. They can have an off night. So. Have you ever seen them live? No, I never have. Would you like to? Sure. Here's two free tickets, Wes. Hey. Hand those over to Wes. Hooray! Uh, maybe we'll go the next time they come to the Canyon Club. That would be I cool. I can get free tickets to that. Really? Yeah. Wow. You'll okay. Be, you'll be my date. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we won't hold hands. We'll just be... <laughs> We'll just be rocking out. And at the uh, end, at the end of the night, you'll go home with the rich kids. <laughs> <laughs> I will make my own dress. Uh, are we moving on? Did you play two from Pretty in Pink? Yes, I did. Let's move on to, in my opinion, this, this, is, this is the best John Hughes film. Yeah, this film. is my favorite. This is my favorite. Yeah, this, this is, is my, my top too. five favorite films of all time, probably. Holy cow, what are those other four? <laughs> Uh, the bunch Wick- of bullshit. The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage. Uh, Flash Troll Gordon. 2. Dark Knight. <laughs> Prestige. Uh, Prestige is great. I like Fight Club a lot. I know you don't like it. I'm not a fan. It, it, and I like American Psycho, which I know you don't like. I've seen it. Fight Club is a really good movie. Ferris Bueller doesn't fit in with any of this. <laughs> I know, but I just it's, it's great. <laughs> well, actually, I think 
Ferris Bueller does have maybe something in common with Fight Club. That mm-hmm. They both have a, a, a healthy spirit of, of anarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, Ferris Bueller has a healthy spirit of anarchy. Fight Club is unhealthily anarchic. Yeah. Ferris Bueller made for $5.8 million and made $70 million. Yep. So I just love everything about it. There's, there's no scene that I dislike. I love the parents. I love, I love that uh, pedophile principal. I love... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just lo- I love Jennifer Grey with her original nose. Oh yeah, she was adorable. Uh, yeah, I, I and just this is this is a star making performance for Matthew Broderick. I mean, well, and Alan fantastic. Ruck. I always I and Alan Ruck. Why yeah. why didn't that guy somehow manage to turn this into like a, a huge career? I mean, he has worked steadily since then, right? You know, but he didn't somehow he didn't become a big breakout star, which I always thought was kind of a shame. Yeah, so so good. So every this movie, it's just got everything in it, and just you know. And they talk about they should make a sequel where they take a day off now. And you know what? I would have been down for that if John Hughes was around to write it, but I don't know if I'd be down yeah. for it now. But um, pretty great. So what do you got? Uh, what do you got from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Okay, this has been this is my favorite song from the soundtrack. I've loved this song for a long time. For a long time, I only ever had like a bootleg copy of it. Do you love it long time, like Long Duck Dong? Oh. <laughs> And, uh, and I don't know anything about this band, but I know that John Hughes liked them. And, and so he wanted to have this song on the soundtrack. It's okay. a band called The Flower Pot Man. And this is just, it's such a great, awesome, catchy song. It's, it comes at the moment that they're just like sailing into Chicago in that beautiful car. It's called Beat City. go that's you know it's good we put it down before then mm-hmm. starts with the, the actual lyrics and the verses because the words are just I, I don't know what they are it's yeah. just it's just a mess but it's just it's got a great beat and that really awesome twangy guitar lick mm-hmm. i just love the hell out of it also I, this is probably the first time that i had ever seen a movie where they break the fourth wall oh really i i know that it was done before woody allen movies and stuff yeah. But this was where, this was really, this was my movie. This was, you know, I was 22, I think, when this came out. So I was like, this was, oh, this is so cool. And I, and I think they, it's per, the breaking of the fourth wall, and this is so just perfect. I just love it. Sometimes I hate it. Oh, in, in other movies, you mean? Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't like it in that, uh, in that uh, what's, the, what's the Netflix Fight show? Uh, I don't know. Kevin Spacey. Oh, oh, House of Cards. I don't like it in that movie, in that TV show at it's, all. It's a little jarring. Yeah, I just don't, that. I don't like it. It may just be the character. Because, you know, it's, that's based on a, a television series that was in the UK. And they did, they did the same thing they in did that it, show. Yeah, they probably did it better. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I saw every episode of the UK version. And, and the guy is just, it's great. He's, he's, he's got a, uh, the, the UK actor, I can't remember his name, but 
I don't know, somehow he's got a more palatable sliminess to his character mm-hmm. than Kevin Spacey does. Even though in real life, Kevin Spacey has a more... <laughs> he's more realistically slimy, slimy in real life. And yet some, maybe that's what makes it so unpalatable because, you know, he's bringing real slime to the table. Yeah, and the fourth wall breaking is only really done well by, like, John Hughes and um, Shane Black. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that I like the best, probably. What about that moment where Ray Liotta breaks the fourth wall at the end of Goodfellas? That's okay, but that's not that's not overall. Like yeah. I'm talking, like yeah, but it's kind of it's it is a little jarring though. Yeah. it's weird because I mean he is narrating throughout the movie, but he's never. But it's all voiceover narration. He's never addressing the camera directly. But then at the end, all of a sudden, he just does. He just gets up from his seat in the courtroom and just walks right up to the camera and just keeps talking. It's like, what? What? How did this happen? I'm going to break the fourth wall right now. Uh, these two nudniks are just going on and on about the fourth wall and it's driving me fucking crazy. Let me see if I can get it back into the show. Okay, guys. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to play a song by Yellow called Oh Yeah. Oh Yeah. This is when they're uh, oh, yeah. driving the car around. Yeah, you still breaking the fourth wall? Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is the first John Hughes movie where there was a character that I really related to. Like, I really related to. I don't know if I was as cool as Ferris Bueller, but in my head, I felt like I was that type of a, a character. I ought to smack you. <laughs> Nobody should ever identify with Ferris Bueller. I know. The guy who, but I, who always triumphs and gets away with everything. Oy. I don't know if I always triumphed and always got away with everything, <laughs> but I was on board with the what he would attempt right. to do. See, then... Oh boy, we definitely should have hung out more in the 80s because I identified more with Cameron. You probably could have pulled me out of that. <laughs> What's your song? Okay, now the next one, this was not on the uh, the official soundtrack album. But I didn't expect it to be. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great song that by uh, the English Beat. They're only called the English Beat because they were called the Beat in the UK where they came from, but then they came over here and, oops, there's already a band called the Beat, so we can't call ourselves that. I wonder so. if they thought about the Beat-Offs. <laughs> what about the Beatles? The Beatles. <laughs> But, uh, and yeah, and this, this song was originally on their third and last album, Special Beat Service, but then John Hughes used a remixed version of it. Jesus is a lot of info. <laughs> <laughs> you, you painted yourself into this corner, my friend. But, and uh, start in about a minute in on this one. This is called March of the Swivel Heads. This is who you identified with, Kyle, the Swivel Heads.
I love that. I love ska. I love that uh, that version of that song. That's played during the climactic scene where Ferris Bueller is trying to get home before his parents. Yeah. Here's a fun bit of trivia: the the actors who played his parents, they met on that movie and married. fell in love, got married, and had Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Cindy adopted him. Cindy Pickett. Yeah. And what was the what was the dad the actor who played the dad? You probably it was like know Lyman something or yeah. something Lyman. I Lyman Good. John Lyman. Lyman Bostock. No, that was a baseball Did, uh, player. You are, this movie holds up. Jeffrey Jones? Right? Yeah. yeah no, Jeffrey Jones. No, Jeffrey Jones. Oh, that's the principal. Rooney. Oh, that's Rooney. That's who the band Rooney's named after. <laughs> right. The principal in that yeah, that's movie. So, that's also cool. There's like, maybe there's more, but there's two bands that name themselves after something in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Because mm-hmm. you got Rooney and you have Save Ferris. Yep. Oh, Lyman Ward. Lyman Ward. Okay. Lyman Ward. That's great. Yeah, Cindy Pickett. Uh, very cute. Very cute in that movie. Had like a hair would hair was like kind of punky a little bit. Cool mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. they divorced. Uh, oh, and then she hooked up with uh, Matthew Broderick. You know? <laughs> All right, this is a. I love this. I love the. They, this band has th- three hits off their first album, and I love every sing or singles, I guess. But uh, the Dream Academy. Oh yeah. And I love this song, "The Edge of Forever." I really, really love it. I wish that their albums were as good as the three songs I like. The, the albums, for me, aren't as good as those songs, but I love this song so much. When you were young, did you ever love somebody? Like I love. I love you now. Cause now that you're old, Ferris what's Bueller. That, what part's that from in the movie? Might be at the end. Uh, no, it's basically like right about that time when uh, Cameron decides he's going to take the heat mm-hmm. and then they're all parting and he's he's saying goodbye to his girlfriend played by Mia Sarah, who I've only ever seen in like one other movie in my whole life. She's a, she plays Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey. Really? Yeah. But only... Terrible in, show. <laughs> does she play it only in the pilot or is she in the no, whole thing? No, she's in the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. weird. I'm glad that you gave us the nerd uh, superhero. It's better than Gotham. <laughs> Anyone. Uh, so how much of a monster was Cameron's dad? Oh. Must well, have been the biggest yeah. asshole ever. Uh, maybe. I think Bender's dad was probably more of an uh, asshole. Yeah. Because it, I, I get the feeling that Cameron's dad was not physically abusive. He was just, you know, emotionally abusive. And he would yell and he would care about cars more than people. Yeah. So. But that's. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good that his friend bad. Ferris put him in harm's way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to, to Some Kind of Wonderful. This is, we talked about it earlier. It's directed by Howard Deutsch and written by John Hughes. And one of our, one of our Twitter followers, uh, Waffle House Jesus, <laughs> said, uh, that's at, at Waffle House J, said, Some Kind he of Wonderful. He died for our syrup. <laughs> 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 that's good some kind of wonderful could almost be its own episode so great i i do n- n- i am not in that camp 
Yeah, I wouldn't devote an entire episode. Of Sorry, episode Waffle House Jesus. Get back up on the cross. It's, <laughs> it's not that kind of wonderful. Not, no, no. And, I, I do know people that do like this soundtrack very much, but I, I, I mean. It's a good soundtrack. It's a good um, soundtrack. It's a good movie. But there again, it's one of those things where it's pretty, uh, pretty transparently like a retread of Pretty in Pink. Yes. Uh, it's just that, you know, it goes a different way. I like uh, Ilias Coteus as the 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 kind of juvenile delinquent kid. Yeah. We don't have a... Um, and I like John Ashton as the dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, we know him from uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. So it was and nice Midnight to, Run. Yep. So it was nice to see him not playing a, a gruff, you know, the well, same he's, character. He's still kind of gruff. But he's, but he's lovable too. Yeah, that's kind of good. But there's no no budget listed, but the box office was only $18.5 And I think that's because I, I don't think this is... A great film. No, no. Like I said, it's it's not a great film, and it's it's got too much stuff that we've already seen before. Yeah. So, but there yeah, are there are good things in it. It's a retread. This is this is the one where where it, fe- it felt like. What else do you got? I got this. Some kind of wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of like a uh, poor man's Pretty in Pink. <laughs> it was the first draft of Pretty in Pink. <laughs> <laughs> but we call it some kind of wonderful. We call it some kind of red. <laughs> what um, light, what do you got? Light for red. Us? Okay. Is, this, is this from the soundtrack or not from the soundtrack? I got one from the soundtrack and one that's that's not, All right. more or less. But uh, yeah, there's a song there by uh, Pete Shelley, formerly of the Buzzcocks. was a band that I hey, love. Hey, language. <laughs> band that I love very much. So he did a song for the movie called uh, Do Anything. with a band I'd never heard of before, March Violets. They do a great cover of a Rolling Stones song. And this <laughs> no. is... M- miss What? You don't like this cover? No, it's just that I picked the original because the original is also in the movie. That's my next... <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Then we'll hear it. We'll yeah, hear let's, it. we'll do an A-B comparison. Okay, let's hear the remake first. Miss Amanda Jones. Let's hear the original then. I mean, the remake's not as good as the original. I love this song. Is this on Aftermath or Between the Buttons? Between the Buttons. Between the Buttons. This is the mono version. Oh, 
you uh, do you have the Rolling Stones mono box set? Uh, I have it ripped from somebody else's copy. So how is it? Is it any good? Do you think it's is it worth purchasing if it go drops in price a little bit? Uh, it, yeah, it would have to be for me. It would have to be cheaper if it was you know one of those things where you know like money was no object. In my case, money is no object that I have. So uh, yeah, if, if you could afford it, yeah, because. Uh, in general, I find, at least with all these, these 60s recordings, I, I find that the mono versions really are just like punchier. They sound better to me. Like I prefer the mono versions of the Beatles stuff to the stereo. Uh, I prefer the mono versions of the Kinks and the mono versions of uh, the Stones. So I agree with you. And it, it, there was a point in my life where I was like, mono? Fuck that bullshit. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, let me see. Yeah, the box set currently is... On Amazon, it's 130 bucks for the... This is why I haven't purchased it yet, but how many discs is that? Yeah, I don't know. It might be like a dozen, something like that. Let's see if I can find out. I'll be over here. Oh, it's 15 discs. Oh, okay. So what's the? how much is that per disc? Uh, if it's $100? $130. $130. It's, it's almost $10 a disc. It's like about 8 bucks a disc. Yeah, it's less than disc. $10 a disc. That's actually not bad. That's not bad, but... Yeah. I would like it if it was uh, $1 per disc. I would like it. Oh, if yeah, that well, sure. You always want a bargain. I mean, sure. Hey, you know, you know what? Quick. Why didn't, they, why didn't they sell these in separately, like individual mono discs? I mean, they, they printed them up to sell together. I, I think it's because there's not as big a market for mono stuff. Because, you know, again, that's what the Beatles did. Yeah. All the, the stereo versions of their albums, you can buy them separately. But, but if not you the want mono. the mono ones, you got to buy the box and that's it. Yeah. So, but you know what? Quick aside, if you're looking for a really great bargain uh, in music on Amazon, if you like the Hollies, there's a box set, six discs, every song they ever recorded for EMI between 1963 and 1968, okay. $30. That, you see, that is a good deal. Because EMI put out three box sets of the Hollies that comprises all their recorded output for them between 63 and like 85 or 88, something like that. Each one is about $30. And like the first one and the last one are six discs. The one in the middle is five. I mean, and, and I like the Hollies. Yeah. And I like, I like when you can buy a box set that has every song on it. Yeah. That's the best. And it's amazing. That they're so cheap. Um, so how did we do this? Uh, I played Miss Amanda Jones. Then you played Miss Amanda Jones. Yeah. So now then, you're your second song. Now this is weird because I was just picking songs off this album. I didn't really notice this, but then I discovered that the, the other song I picked is also by the same band, the March Violets. Oh. Because I like this song, Turn to the Sky. like a sound like a more rocking bangles to me kind of this song so i, I kind of liked it yeah it does have a good sound to it yeah. i like that I, I don't know too much about that well, anything about that band i don't either, know anything about that band either i know they suck <laughs> so i know about them you typing it up march violets mm -hmm. they recorded two songs for the some kind of wonderful soundtrack and then they went their separate ways <laughs> uh, 
first thing that comes up is a historical detective novel by oh. Philip Kerr. Uh, that's where they that's where they took their name from, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they uh, were together from eighty one to eighty seven, right. and back in two thousand seven, and then two thousand ten to the present. They're still out there. Yeah, there's there's tons of bands who like had this brief period of like five six years in the eighties, and then they went away, and then there's just this burgeoning 80s nostalgia circuit that you can go on and you will be able to find an audience and make a decent living. That's what happened to the motels. That's what happened to any number of those bands. The motels are they're, they're out there right now. They just released a new album. Yeah. All right. What's your, uh, what's your next song of some kind of wonderful? Well, that was it. I had my two. Why am I not <laughs> I able to keep in, track of uh, two know. songs each today? You guys are having a bad day. I don't know. I hope it's not me. Mm, I'm, no. I'm throwing, no, not throwing you. off You're your equilibrium. <laughs> All right. We're moving on to, uh, which I, uh, the movie I like as much as, as Ferris Bueller. This is, this to me is a classic. I have to watch this every year. Planes, trains, and automobiles. This is a great movie. And it's also sort of, you see kind of a, a John Hughes pivoting into mm-hmm. more adult fare because yeah. he doesn't really go back for the most part uh, into like stuff with, with teenagers and things yeah. like that. Now he's dealing with adults and adult situations and adult problems. And by adult situations, I don't mean like sex and stuff like right. that. Just, but, uh, just life. Yeah, and it's just Steve Martin is great, but John Candy is just iconic in yeah. this movie. He's so magnificent. It's but, one of the, his greatest performances. But this is Steve Martin, you know, who we had seen in The Jerk and all those movies. Yeah. Now he's playing like an uptight. I mean, he's basically the straight man, right? For most of the movie, he does have he does have the scene that makes this movie rated R. Right. Which is where they say fuck about 15 times. 17 it's, times. 17 times. It's I a believe. great, but it's, um, it's almost sad that, that it's rated R because of that scene. Yeah. Because this is a movie that I think well, maybe younger kids wouldn't get into it either. So I don't think they would think because they would it's either. just, you know, it's a couple of grownups yeah. like yeah. trying to go You're home. Right. It's like, they don't, they don't care about that. Every time they're around grownups trying to go home, they're in the back seat going, are we there yet? Yeah, are we listen, there yet? Listening to the, uh, the Ramones. Yeah. So they, uh, don't, they don't care about that stuff. This is shocking to me. Budget was 30 million. This movie only made 49 million. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I don't even know why it was that expensive to begin with, but I mean, because all the locations maybe. Maybe, and maybe Steve Martin was expensive. I mean, yeah. he, he was a you know, definitely he was a big star at that yeah. time. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that, that that's the other thing too is that this is also kind of this period sort of begins his decline. John, 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 John Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. I mean, I know Uncle Buck was still pretty successful, Home but alone, then Home Alone. Yeah. Well, that was just like a monster yeah. success, but that one he didn't he didn't, begin, he didn't direct. It. Right. So that was the thing where he this his. his career as a director sort of started, you know, fading away and he started just writing more stuff and farming it out to other people to direct. Uh, you can buy this soundtrack on iTunes for five ninety nine. That's not bad. No. Oh. Um, but I have a song that's in the movie, but not on the soundtrack. I'm pulling a West Anthony on this. Oh, this is a song from 1957. I... It's the same one. It's <laughs> such a great, the scene in the movie when this plays is so hysterical Kyle, this is Ray Charles with Mess Around. Ray Charles with Mess Around. Are you messing around? Ah, you can talk about the pit, barbecue. The band was jumping, the people too. Ah, mess around. They're doing the mess around. They're doing the mess around. 
in the mess around. Ah, everybody was juice, you can't bet your soul. They did the boogie boogie with the study roll. They mess around. They doing the mess around. They doing the mess around. Everybody doing the mess around. so funny john candy's driving and singing along and just and it's an awesome song it, it's an awesome song too it was and written it's, written by amit erdogan oh, founder wow. and president of atlantic records and Good he gave it to uh, his uh, his artist uh, ray charles and charles uh, turned it into a hit you know the funny thing is the first version of this song that i heard was on the album that i brought last time i was here Jules Holland. Oh, wow. The keyboard player for Squeeze. He recorded a version of this song and it's on that album, a, IRS Greatest Hits Volumes 2 and 3. Perfect song for Jules Holland to cover. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's he's a great, fun piano player himself. All right. What's your first song off planes, trains, and automobiles? Well, it was that one. So now we'll go on to my second song. All righty. Right and uh, it's funny. There's, there's a song. It's an old folk song that sort of comes up throughout the movie uh, called uh, Red River Valley. And then there's a version of it that's recorded by a band called Silicon Teens. So it's called uh, Red River Rock in this case. Also had that song. Oh, okay. But I also have another song um, by Steve Earle and the Dukes called oh. Six Days on the Road. Yeah, it's a great cover. So, yeah. I pull out of Pittsburgh down the eastern seaboard. I got my diesel wound up, she's running like never before. Well, speed's on her head, all right. I ain't seen a cop online. The part that gets me every time I watch this movie is when Steve Martin finally gets home and he introduces Del Griffith as his friend. Yeah. That gets me every time. It's a great moment. Do you, um, do you think Neil Page and Del Griffith remain friends? I think they do. I think they, they do too. And I think, I think like they Steve, had such a strong bonding yeah. experience. And also, I mean, there's more stuff to the story that sure. we didn't see that it was bought because I mean I don't know if you know about this but the original cut of this movie was almost four hours long let's see it they cut together like just there's so much material it's as long as Heaven's Gate I would love I would watch Although, it though my I would guess watch is it it's more entertaining <laughs> yeah it's just uh and then I think there was like a a two and a half ver hour version somewhere that uh I think somebody had access to at one point but yeah, I don't know if all this footage is still out there. Come somewhere, on, Criterion Collection, let's do this. That's that's this is one movie where I would actually like to see all this extra stuff. I would love to see it too. It, it it I think it would actually sort of make it a more of a, an epic mythic journey, mm -hmm. which is also I think which is why I'm I'm positive this is why John Hughes used that song uh, "Red River Valley" throughout this movie because uh, 
the thing is, that was also a song, it's, again, it's an old folk song. John Ford used that same song in The Grapes of Wrath in 1940, mm -hmm. which, of course, is also about a group of people who are on a journey across the country to get to their home. So I'm, I'm sure that is not a coincidence. On Wikipedia, they have a map, um, and it says it has the intended route from where they were starting out and where they were supposed to go, and then the actual route that they took. And it is hysterical to see this, uh, to see this graphic. It's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles, is, it's, it's a classic despite its underperformance at the uh, box office. So I think it's become a perennial holiday favorite now, though. Yeah, I believe so, too. Um, let's move on to a, a movie that, um, that I really liked this at the time. I don't, know, I don't know if it holds up. Did you watch She's Having a Baby? Yes, I did. How does it hold up? For the most part, I think it does hold up because it's still ultimately, you know, it's a story of, of young adults sort of adjusting mm -hmm. to adulthood and doing all of the things that is expected of people in America that you have to buy the home, you have to get the job, you have to become a commuter, mm -hmm. you have to have the kids. Uh, I've done none of those things, but <laughs> I know that that's, that's the generally accepted version of the American dream. And just the, the way that Kevin Bacon's character is sort of straining against that straitjacket of yeah. what it means to have the American dream and wanting to, to break out of that and, and just be his own person and do mm -hmm. the, 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 pursue the dreams that he always wanted to. That's something that I know that many people can still identify with to one degree, to a degree or another. Great, so, great cast in this. John Ashton's in this Holland yeah. Taylor, uh, Alec Baldwin's very sleazy <laughs> friend, William Wyndham, uh, Paul Gleason's in it. It's Edie McClurg is in it. Uh, it's um, yeah, I like this. Uh, I like this movie a lot. I have not seen this movie since I first saw it, but it, it, it was very emotional for me when I saw it and I was only 24. So, Oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of emotional moments in it. I mean, again, I think it's something that, that John Hughes drew from his mm -hmm. own life. And I think that's why it's so easily identifiable and you can just you know, feel the humanity just the, the, all throughout the picture. The score was uh, by friend of the show, Stuart Copeland. Yes. And, and he um, appears in a little cameo at the end of the movie when they have the montage of the, the baby namers. Yeah, as does Michael Keaton and Woody Harrelson. Yep. Uh, Kirstie uh, Alley is in there. Uh, uh, Magic Johnson. Matthew Broderick as Ferris is in yep. there. Uh, Warren Zevon is in there. Rock in peace. Uh, he wanted to name the kid Werewolf. <laughs> werewolf is what he... Uh, I'm going to have to find this. Where did you find... Where? How did you find this movie? Where was it located that you watched it? Oh, you can rent the DVD from Netflix. Oh, you can? Yep. All right, so I'm going to watch it on. Uh, I'm going to get it on Netflix. I want to see this movie again. Have you ever seen this? No. Nope. Eh, maybe watch it after you get married. Okay. Then it'll mean something to you. <laughs> or if you were older, because West isn't married, but he's older, so he he gets it. All right, what song do you have for us off of? Uh, She's having a. Baby? Okay, both of my songs are actually on the soundtrack album. I mine, a, mine too. I have a copy of it on vinyl. I, wow, that, this is it's. I think it's one of the better uh, soundtrack albums. I, I think just, it's a very good one too. I like the album cover too. I like the cover of this. It's very... It's very White Album. Yeah, it's very... It's, we didn't talk about cover art, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them were just the movie poster. All right, we don't need you coming down on everything. <laughs> but this is... Okay, for starters, it's one of my favorite Smith songs. And okay. uh, it's... But it's a cover version by uh, Kirsty McCall. Mm -hmm. and, and she just sounds great. I just love her voice. It's, this is a... You just haven't earned it yet, baby.
Oh, it's so great. That's great. She's a, she's a great singer, and uh, I, I can't get enough of her. And I'm pretty sure that Johnny Marr worked on that version of the song as oh, well. Oh, cool. You get, get the, that chiming 12-string guitar, which is my favorite sound in the universe, is a 12-string electric guitar. Johnny Marr has a new solo album coming out. Oh, does he? Yes, he does. Oh, awesome. I wonder if he's going to tour. He usually does. He usually comes out here, too. I see April Richardson at that show for sure. Oh. Flopping around. Then I shouldn't go, because I'll just embarrass myself. <laughs> No, you what you want? She's April's I have cool. I'm, look. Just edit this out. I have such a crush on April. Leaving it in. <laughs> everyone does. The ladies. Everyone has a crush. On, they have a crush on Mike. They have a crush on Christy. They have a crush on April. They have a crush on Kyle. They have a crush on me. Nope. That's about it. Nope. None of you guys. That's just about it. every time she's on the show. I mean, she's. I mean, she's so funny. She's so smart. She has a yeah. million and one great stories, and she has the best taste in music of any woman I've ever known. Ever. <laughs> I just want to sit in a living room and play records with her all goddamn day. Maybe that'll happen sometime. Maybe that's a, Maybe that should be a Patreon thing. <laughs> sit in the room and listen to records with April. Uh, okay, I'm going to play the title track by Dave. I don't know how to say his Wakeling. Wakeling. From formerly from, from the, the, beat, the English beat in the English beat in yeah. general public the English one not the American one and this is she's having a baby yep mixed drinks and mixed emotions in the start of a brand new life all change she's having a baby as love has turned into husband and wife mixed drinks and mixed emotions Yeah, there's great artists on this soundtrack. Love and Rockets, Gene Loves Jezebel, yeah, Brian Ferry. And I, I was the one that put your songs in today. And this is the only band that, that I, my eye caught. So I think I know what your next song is. Oh, okay. Is it a band called Ecstasy? Uh, close. <laughs> no, I'm curious. It's XTC. Yeah. They pronounce it XTC. I mean, it is supposed to be sort of a play on on the word ecstasy. Right. But they don't go around calling themselves ecstasy. No, well, that's because they don't go around calling themselves anything. They're not in. A, they're not in. They're not yeah. active. But uh, they're one of my all time favorite bands. Yes, you uh, posted a picture of the spines because you you own all of the CD Blu Ray yeah. combo packs. All the all five of them. There's they're working on another one right now. I heard that mm -hmm. Andy Partridge posted on Twitter that they're working on it, but he's keeping mum on on the title. Now, right. did, did that band I know the band's popular, but they don't it, for me it doesn't feel I don't feel like they're a band that sold uh so many albums that that someone had invest the time to put out these reissues and yet it is happening. Yeah, they were never super popular. Yeah. They never had like a big massive hit. I mean, I think they had a couple of top 40 hits in the mm -hmm. UK but they were always kind of a cult band here in the States. Yeah. And I think the only reason that they're putting these out now, because because the the cost of making the records, that's gone. Yeah. The, the records are already made. And right. they have, and I think they own the, the, the master tapes and all that kind of stuff so they can afford to take their time and have somebody come in and remaster it and then they put it out. And it's, and it's such a great bargain too. Because yeah. it, of course, you have to have a Blu-ray player. I mean, there's a CD and a Blu-ray. And the CD has the album and maybe a handful of bonus tracks. But the Blu-ray, it'll have like the remastered version of the album, the original mix, instrumental mixes, a pile of demos, a couple of videos. It's a box set on one disc. But you don't, you don't want to, do you have a sound system connected to your Blu-ray player? Or are you just listening to that music through your, your TV oh, speaker? Yeah, I, don't, I don't listen to it in like surrounds. I don't use the, the big surround sound options. I rarely have I ever heard any 
surround. There's only two surround sound mixes of albums that I have that I've ever actually played in a surround mm-hmm. sound, and it's and it actually has a positive effect. Is uh, the Who did it with Tommy, and it really sounds very good. Mm-hmm. And Pink Floyd did it with the. Th- 30th anniversary of dark side of the moon. Okay. And that's cool because they really just use the entire surround that, you know, like all the sound effects and money, mm-hmm. it just goes like around the room. Each one is fun. Can you put the XTC Blu-ray in your computer and pull those files off? Or do you, you can only listen to them from the Blu-ray? Only if you had a Blu-ray drive. I was talking computer. to West Anthony. I, <laughs> but am, then you could, you think you could. I, I, yeah, but I think you have to, it, I don't think iTunes will do it. I think you have to have a third party. Okay. You need to, to have some it. software. You, okay. I, I'll tell you right now, I am in the process of trying to do it myself. Okay. Where I have a Blu-ray player and then I have this, uh, what is it? Audacity. Mm-hmm. And then basically, so I'm just like, I'm going to rip because you have to basically play the entire album, whichever version and of then, you're playing. And record it through. And record it through my computer into audacity. And then you're going to have a, like a huge file. That's just one long file of the entire album. Then I'm going to have to go through and edit and, and e- edit each individual chop song. Up. But I mean, it's going to take me a long time, but I'm let it's me, something that I am working on. Let me put that out there. If, the, if anyone out in rock solid land has done this, please uh, contact uh, Wes Anthony through, uh, through Twitter. And then and maybe you guys can hook up and, and trade files, save yeah. some time or you do two and four or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It would be awesome. I, I really do love this band real quick. One question about skylarking. Is there a difference? Is there, there's a, something called a non-polarized. Yeah. The corrected polarity version. Yes. Which I honestly, I can't hear any difference, but I mean, my hearing is definitely not what it was mm-hmm. from when I was a kid. So I couldn't tell you what I, it's like, I always feel like maybe it should be, Oh, well something that was in the left channel should now be in the right channel, yeah. but it's nothing like that as far as I know. And Andy Partridge and Todd Rundgren have a feud now about that album, even though it's one of, it's, it's one of the greatest albums the, ever. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. it is a thing of perfection from start to finish, but they were always at odds when they were making the mm-hmm. album. And I just, I don't think they ever, you know, really got over that. But Andy Partridge has always been kind of difficult with producers. Mercurial. Okay. <laughs> Is that what they call it? I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Okay. That's, that's fine. Cause I mean, you know, when they worked on none such with, with Gus Dudgeon, Gus Dudgeon produced it's David El- Bowie Elton and John. Elton John. And you know, he was an engineer for, you know, he worked with the zombies as an engineer, uh, but he butted heads with, with Andy Partridge. Uh, he, Andy Partridge was very much of a sort of control freak. And I also think that that's why, you know, he's maybe the ideal person to be putting out all these, these yeah, reissues now. It can be exactly how he feels it should be. Yeah. All right, what's your next song off She's Having a Baby? Okay, so this is an XTC song that, uh, it, as far as I know, it really was only made for this movie. Because uh, he's, he's written songs for, for some movie projects, some of which didn't come to light. He originally wrote some songs for the animated film James and the Giant Peach. Oh, interesting. But they couldn't come to terms with the money, so they That's gave him the because Andrew Partridge is a mess. And they gave him a he- the heave-ho. But this one uh, seems to have worked out okay. I think it's a really good song. Uh, it's called Happy Families. We're a happy family. We're a happy... Not no, that one. Not that one. Okay. She's the daughter of rich parents So she doesn't cry One four-letter word is all she wants But you can't buy love So there's no supply Will you take your master charge The boy who's leaving well beyond His father's means See his mother kill herself With work to keep her dandy in the 
Here's a fun fact. The babies at the beginning of that song, uh, they actually brought real babies into the studio and they slapped them in the leg until they cried. They just kept slapping them until they would cry. And Andy Partridge would say, that's not the cry I want. So he would whack them again. Change the sound polarity on that. <laughs> okay, this, so the second song I'm going to play gets me every time. It gets me in the scene it's playing in. It gets me when I just listen to it. So I really can't listen to it uh, independently. Or, or, or in, It just kill, kills me. It's a song called This Woman's Work by Kate Bush. And this plays when she's giving birth to the baby. Yeah, that whole... And there's some com- there's some complications, right? Yes. And yeah. that's when Kevin Bacon has realization, uh, kind of. This is the life that he wants. Yeah, he grows up. Yeah. All right, here it is. I'm trying not to cry. I know you have a little life in your head. I know you have a lot of strength left. I know you have a little life in your head. I know you have a lot of strength there. I should be crying, but I just can't let it show. I should be hoping, but I can't stop thinking. All the things I should have said that I never said. All the things we should have done that we never did. All the things I should have given that I didn't. Very emotional scene. Yeah. And it's a beautiful song. It, it is. It really is. Kate Bush is another one of those people that like, you know, she was around in the eighties and then all of a sudden just yoink. She just vanished off the face of the earth. And yeah. it's like, why? Come back. Didn't, Be around all the time. Didn't need to do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know if that was, was the reason. I, Stage fright. It could be that. I mean, that's definitely what uh, took Andy Partridge off the market. Yeah. So now for me, that kind of ends the big soundtrack run. Yeah, there's, there's other songs. There's other, and we we do you have you have a couple more songs. I have a couple more songs. Yeah, we could end it there and be satisfied. Sure, we we can play a couple more songs. The next thing, um, uh, the Great Outdoors. I don't have a song from the Great Outdoors. Yeah, I don't have anything from that movie. Um, I have the soundtrack from the movie, but I just I didn't bring anything with it. Yes, yeah. and then because um, that's another one that he wrote and did not uh, direct. Right, I think that might have been another uh, Howard Deutsch one. Oh, maybe. Yep, it was. Yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. He, he owes a lot to John Hughes, man. And that, again, $24 million budget, it made $43 million. I would have thought that didn't make a much movie, much money. I remember seeing it and not being that impressed. Well, against $25 million, $43 isn't, isn't, isn't that big, No, but, it, but profitable. Uh, well, I don't know, because Arcane Studio Math says you have to make twice what oh, it costs just to break true. even. So, uh, that's which, true. Which I don't know how the hell they get that, but he's... And then, uh, then Uncle Buck. Yeah, which I think maybe is his last sort of successful film yeah. as a director. $15 million budget made $79 million. And there I think that's because people just love, even though John Candy was also in, in The Great Outdoors, this, this character just seemed like perfect for John Candy, Uncle Buck. It might well have been written for him. Because, I mean, you see that, you know, John Hughes is, he's used John Candy like a couple times. Yeah, maybe it was written for him. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. And uh, this introduces us to uh, Macaulay Culkin for the most part. Yep. And um, Laurie Metcalf's in this movie. Yeah. And, uh, oh, she's adorable in this movie. <laughs> do you have a, she is. And do you have a song from uh, Uncle Buck? Yeah, I have a couple of songs. Okay, cool. Uh, so one is it's a, it's a classic R&B tune from Laverne Baker. 
which uh, f- featured early in the film. It's called Tweedly Dee. All right. And I think one of the songs I have is from that same ilk. This is by the, the is it the Cordettes? Is that how you say it? That sounds right. And this is Mr. Sandman. Oh, yeah. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Have you seen Uncle Buck, Kyle? Yeah. Do you like it? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Who do you identify with that in, in that movie? Uncle Buck? Yep. <laughs> What's next, Wes? <laughs> Okay, so and uh, this one is uh, this was in the scene where Laurie Metcalf is trying to to get Uncle Buck to dance and she's trying putting putting on a, her her best uh, feminine wiles to seduce him, which is <laughs> I don't know I just I I think she's just adorable. She's movie. great. I don't she's, know. She's but, a great actress too. But it's and it's a really good uh, band from the '60s. They were actually from the Bay Area. They kind of sound like a, a a British invasion type band. I think they were influenced by British invasion bands, but they come from up north around San Francisco. Uh, so this is a great mid-60s tune from the Bo Brummels. It's called Laugh, Laugh. I hate to say it, but I told you so. Don't mind my preaching to you. I said don't trust them, baby, now you know. You don't learn everything there is to know at school. Wouldn't believe me when I gave advice I said that he was a tease If you won't help, you better ask me now So be sincere, convince me with a pretty please Laugh, laugh, I thought I'd die It seems so funny to me I haven't heard that song for so long. It's a great song. Such a great song. The Bo Brummels are, I mean, they, they have a few songs that are really good. I think uh, they've sort of been lost in the mists of time, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they had a really good output. Now, uh, my next song was a current song from the time. It's Young MC. Oh, correct? so it's not the time? No. You got Bust a Move there? Uh, I do. This is a great song. This is fun. Fellas, try to do what those ladies tell us. Get shot down because you're overzealous. Play hard to get females, get jealous. Okay, smarty, go to a party. Girls are scantily clad, are showing body. A chick walks by, you wish you could sex her, but you're standing on the wall like you was Poindexter. Next day's function, high class luncheon. Food is served in your stone cold munching. Music comes on, people start to dance, but now, then you ate so much. That's, that's rap music that white people can like. <laughs> they don't feel threatened by that. Oh. Okay, I which which is the the rap music that white people do feel threatened by? Oh, all the, all the other rap music. 
Oh, this is this is this has become a song that now. This is like, like Will Smith rap. Yeah, this has become a song that like now at the end of a, a family movie, Brendan Fraser and the rest of the cast are dancing <laughs> to. <laughs> right. How do we end this movie? I don't know. Everyone just danced to a nineties oh, rap like a, song, like a Bollywood thing, but with uh, <laughs> but not good, but with safe, <laughs> but with a safe rap song. Um, no, I mean there, there's no there's no danger, there's no edge to a, a rap song like that. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. It's suck for all the fellas. <laughs> That's right. Um, okay, then uh, the next movie. Then we got Christmas Vacation. I don't got a song from that. No, uh, but the second best vacation movie. It is the second best vacation movie, in my opinion. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I'll give you that one. I mean, I've, I've only ever seen those two. I, I walked out of Vegas vacation. I saw it at a $2 theater. Really? Yeah. National <laughs> Lampoon National enough. Lampoon didn't even have its name on there. It was just, it wasn't National Lampoon's Vegas vacation. It is so, it is, have you seen it? Oh yeah. Like oh, I saw it as so a bad. kid and it was horrible. It doesn't even, what, what, what's the, what's the damn? They go to the Hoover Dam. And he falls, he falls in. <laughs> yeah, he falls like, oh my God. <laughs> There's he, like the only funny scene is when they're like kind. It's kind of funny, I guess, when you're a kid. But when they're like saying like, "Oh, look at this, look at this damn whatever," they keep saying "damn,", damn yeah. They, and then he's like, "And the damn damn," like it's just so. Stupid. And then he falls over the edge. He yeah. would be dead. It's so <laughs> fucking stupid. So stupid. Well, the poster he's 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 sprawled out on a roulette, roulette wheel, roulette wheel. Right. which doesn't make sense. Like, is he small? Is it a giant roulette table? It's I hope that when he got to Vegas, they tortured him that way. <laughs> That's what I hope. Okay, so then um, so then, Home Alone, uh, directed by Chris Columbus, um, written by John Hughes. It's, Gigantic it's, success. It's a classic. I still love it. I still get a kick out of the slapstick. I get a kick. I love the sentimentality. I love the scenes uh, with uh, with him and the old man when he finds out the old man is not, you know, a, a vagrant or a, a dangerous person. Um, Joe Pesci and, and um, Daniel Stern, Daniel Stern are, are they're mm-hmm. hysterical, and um, and I like the scene at the end when the uh, when the old man and and the, his family get back together. I mean, it's very emotional, yeah. and um, and John Candy's in there, and I like it. The epilogue, the mm-hmm. end credit scene. That's right, and the end credit scene when the police come and. And haul the parents away for neglect. <laughs> but yeah, um, that got left out in the final. Yeah, that got left out. The but, test um, audience did not identify. The song I brought. Home we alone one point five. My parents in jail. Uh, <laughs> we don't. We don't need to listen to it. But I brought the Drifters version of White Christmas, which is great. And he, I think he mouthed the words to it. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and and both. By the way, both of you were filthy animals. That's all <laughs> I want to say. Uh, and then and then let's jump into career opportunities which I thought was going to be like a return to form for John Hughes at the time. Oh, really? I did because I'm like, oh, it's like, was it Frank Wally? Yeah, Frank Whaley and... Uh, Frank Whaley. I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a Ferris Bueller type guy. And then here's... Uh, he, yeah, except that he wasn't a Ferris Bueller type guy at all. No, no, no. But on the, I'm the going point. by the image yeah, you, of the you poster. You think that that's what it's going to be like. Yes. And oh my gosh, he's just such a deluded sad sack. Yeah. It's kind of horrifying. And Jennifer Connelly's in here. And, she, and Jennifer Connelly, I mean, who, who has been great in other movies. She's a terrific uh, actor. She really mm-hmm. is. I mean, yeah, yeah. she, she, she I'm, I'm fine with her getting yeah. an Academy Award uh, the, all those years ago. But in this movie, she's really just used purely as eye candy. As eye and in candy. fact, you look at the poster art 
And you can yep. just see, it's like, you know, here's a movie about a guy and some boobs. Yep. And, yep. And then it's true. And there are several instances in the movie where that's like, all they are doing yeah. is, you know, playing on her sexuality. Yep. When the, she's on the, the, the horse, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like, oh my God. Not, di- <laughs> not directed by John Hughes, a guy named Brian Gordon. Don't even know who that is. I don't um, know who that is. I, did he go on to direct? Beethoven? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, which was written by John Hughes. Yeah. So. Let me see. I'll tell you. Uh, Based on this <laughs> description on Wikipedia, this sounds just like an ad for Target. <laughs> oh, well, this, well, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like it this, takes place almost entirely in a Target. This it's like Miracle on 34th Street. He's directed, an ad for Macy's. He's directed episodes of The Office and episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm from oh. seasons one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And so he got better. So he got better. <laughs> but, um, and the running time is a, is a, is a tip off on this movie too. Oh yeah. It's like eight, under eight, 90 minutes, 83 <laughs> minutes. And it said the box office was 11 million. That sounds about right. It's, and hopefully that was cheap because they just shot in a, in a target. I mean, yeah. how, how there, much money could it cost? But there is a, but there is a, I don't like this soundtrack that much, but I do like one song. Yeah, there's there's a couple things on here that that I'm okay with. Again, what do you, what do you have? Well, okay, first uh, is a song by uh, another uh, San Francisco band, but a uh, more recent one called Jellyfish. Uh, they're a power pop band, sort of psychedelic band that uh, that I liked very much. This back is this at is the time. one song I brought too. Okay, so let's hear it. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. It's uh, it's a uh, I want to stay home. Yeah. too good to be in this movie yeah it's seriously got a, it's got a really nice kind of burt Bacharach vibe to it that i yeah. like very much his career tra- trajectory is similar to uh deaf leopards in terms of just like starting out way strong yeah, and then just, just drop, really falling dropping off but do you have another song from this that's the only one i brought yeah i do and this is another one that uh, was kind of a staple on on kroq is a band called tones on tail this is just a song that's it's just fun to dance to and, and bop around with if you're you know into bopping, I guess. It's Cleaning called, up Target. Yes. It's called <laughs> Go.
So yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah. I don't I don't even know if there are other words to this song, <laughs> but I just want to throw this out there so people know. John Hughes wrote thirty-two screenplays that were produced. Ed Zooks. Yeah, from the, from the year nineteen eighty-two right. to the year two thousand eight with Drill, Drill Bit Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, that's, which we will not be playing songs from. No, but that's uh, that's a. T- I mean, that is unbelievable. I mean, if you're a screenwriter and you have four or five things written and produced, but that is an unbelievable streak. 32 films. Well, Part of it was because of all the success that he had in the eighties. But I also think that some of it was because he was legendary for working really, really fast. Yeah. And then he could just churn out a screenplay in like three days. And he wrote a bunch of movies like, like Beethoven and Dennis the Menace. Right. And, the remake I love of, that Dennis the Menace movie. Yeah, and the remake of Miracle on 34th Street, which was and then good. he did 101 Dalmatians, Flubber. I mean, he did a you know a lot of a lot of this kind of stuff too in his later yeah. career. Uh, the the last movie, Baby's Day Out, which is a uh, that's a that's a prequel to Mr. Magoo, right? Let me tell you something about <laughs> Baby's Day Out. I saw Baby's Day Out in the movie theater, and I thought I did it, too. and I thought it was really good. And I showed it to my youngest about a year and a half, two years ago. It is not good. It is not good. <laughs> no. It's like, how did Joe Mantegna get into this movie oh at all? Lord. Did it he lose just, a bet? I know. It's really not good. There's a part with a gorilla that's clearly a person in a suit. It's so terrible. It's Andy Serkis, <laughs> but he's just in a suit. Okay, so um, what do we got? You know, after after career opportunities, you know, there's... Yeah. His last a, film as a director was... Is Curly Sue. Which, uh, oh boy. And did you watch Curly Sue in no, preparation for no, this? No, I didn't no, watch that, that one because I knew there wasn't anything on the soundtrack that I was, that was going to appeal to Jim me. Belushi. Yeah. He was still a thing? He's uh, still he's always been a, He's always been a thing. The thing he's never been is a uh, human actor. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> Andy Kindler has the, the best Jim Belushi joke. He goes, Jim Belushi, who died and made him famous? <laughs> <laughs> That's like a perfect joke. <laughs> Okay, I do have a song from Curly Sue, though, because there's a Ringo Starr performance in this movie. Okay, well. There's a song called You Never Know. So let's hear, you got to hear Ringo Starr. Okay. And then I think we're done. Sure. Except our playout song. All right. Life goes on. No one gets rehearsal. Life goes <laughs> Jim Belushi certainly doesn't get rehearsal. Every day reversal. He might cue card it like <laughs> Bruce Willis. Every day is full of chances to find some good before it's gone. You never know which way a day is gonna take you. There's always some surprise that comes along. That's that's a that's that's a nice song of its ilk. It's Ringo. It's Ringo. That's probably yeah. over the end credits. Is he touring this year? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. I, I've never I seen him. See him. I've never seen a Beatle. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, in the garage, but I got traps. I managed to see Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium about five years ago. Uh, great venue. No. Not. not a great venue, but the show was He's transcendent. Great. Cool. It's one of the best shows did, I ever saw. Did you have life. good seats? Uh, I had seats. They were actually in Dodger Stadium. So that's, you know, that's as good as it gets. Chris, but, Christy Stratton had really good seats. I said, how was the show? She goes, a little too long. No. No, I don't no, think it was so. Not. I was sitting behind a guy who last Was it Ringo? No, no, no. (laughs) There's a guy sitting in the row behind me. He was at Dodger Stadium 50 years before at the next to last performance of the Beatles because they played Dodger Stadium 
1966, mm -hmm. and then they went to Candlestick Park, last yeah. show ever, and then they went away. And the reason you knew this is he wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he only had to mention it once. I mean, you got a story like that. Yeah, boy, that's boy, true. You don't have to keep talking about it. But, oh, my God, it was just like, that was amazing. And the show was just fantastic. Ring, and Ringo, I know he brings like a bucket of great musicians yeah, with yeah. him. So it might be worth it to check it out. You know what I would love to see? I don't know if Paul would do it. I don't know if Ringo would ask. But how cool would it be if the next time Ringo does this, let's say next year, that he says to Paul, Paul, do you want to be the bassist in the all-star band for this tour? You get to play bass all night long, and then you sing two hits just like everyone else's. Do you think Paul would go, you know what, that might be fun? Or do you think Paul would think no? It might be fun for him, but the thing is... To is play that, bass, to, but, to, be, to be hired as a strictly as a musician but the problem is mm -hmm. i'm sure that he knows as well as i do because i'm going to say it right now right everybody who goes to these shows they're going to be pissed if all they get is two paul mccartney but, songs and then he's just hanging back and playing bass you, the you rest need, of the time they need to they need to be aware of what the ringo all-star band is oh sure going in. but I, I but again think, but but paul you know it's it paul mccartney he's not just anybody right but it'd be <laughs> so cool to see him just play all everyone else, you know, everyone else's songs and just play bass. Yeah. And then uh, this and then Ringo just, you know, nonchalantly, this is someone you may know. He has some yeah. songs. <laughs> Paul, you have some hits. I don't even know. I don't even know what accent I'm doing. All right. <laughs> Wes, this was this was so much fun. Uh, after we record, we're going to do a you're going to do a Patreon video for us. That's going to that people will have seen prior to this episode dropping. And okay. uh, thank you for bringing the thing that you brought. I don't I don't know. I will tell you one thing. It is Weird Al Yankovic related. What if it was Weird Al? <laughs> he just opened <laughs> a box. We open a box and we pull him out. It's a but, build um, your own Weird Al. <laughs> and uh, and we're going to be filming you. You're going to be doing the unboxing. You're cool with that, right? Okay. And That's... we'll we'll comment. Sure. But, so uh, thank you for that. Again, let's promote. Do you have a website? Uh, no, no, I don't have a website. It's but, just uh, the show is, uh, you know, uh, I'm affiliated with the uh, the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet, so you can go to okay. uh, to BattleshipPretension.com. We know those guys, the good guys. There, yep. And uh, again, you know, the, you can find the show on Twitter at Notation Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Doctor West Anthony, not a real doctor. <laughs> doctor of Rock, <laughs> music doctor, Doc Rock. Kyle, you are at Kyle Dotson Funny. Yep. We are at Rock Solid Show. I am at Pat underscore Francis. Do you have anything else to to promote currently? Mm, nope. All right, we're just going to continue. We're continue to do shows. We got. Uh, I have so many guests on the line, and I'm trying to reel one of these in. So, hopefully, guests coming up soon. Um, go to the Patreon page. It's patreon patreon.com forward slash Rock Solid Podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm starting to say that like uh, like. Um, oh shit! What's his name? I don't know. Like Jor-El says Krypton. Yeah, Krypton. Oh. So um, go over to the... I, Marlon Brando. I think That's I'm doing a good job at keeping this Patreon thing going. I think mm -hmm. I think uh, there's the ASAP Club for five bucks. You get uh, you get a database of the show. You get all the episodes very quickly after they're recorded for $2 a month. That's all I'm asking, $2 a month. Again, if a fourth of you did $2 a month, I'd never talk about it again. I swear to God I wouldn't. But uh, I have great prizes coming up because I've been contacting a lot of labels and stuff and and everyone seems to be on board with giving prizes like mm -hmm. no problem so i got some cool well, prizes nice. coming up and again ten dollars gets you all that previously mentioned stuff plus i put a video up there once a week and uh 
And that's it. That's our show. We're going to cl- thank you, West, again. Thank you, Kyle. Thank We're going to close me. out with probably the, the biggest song from a John Hughes movie, in my opinion. Do you agree with this? Oh, definitely. Definitely the biggest. It's a ridiculous that it didn't get nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, uh, and one of my favorite things in life is stories about people having to be talked into doing the biggest thing they've ever done in their right. lives. And right. that's what happened here. Cause this guy, Keith Forsey, you know, songwriter and producer worked with Georgie Umroder. He played drums on Donna Summer's uh, disco hits. Uh, and then he breaks out into the songwriting. He writes this song and he takes it to Billy Idol. Cause he produced Billy Idol's first yes, two solo yes, albums. Absolutely. Billy, Idol, Billy Idol says, Nope. He went to Brian Ferry. Nope. It went to the fix. The fix says Nix. And then he goes to Simple Minds and Simple Minds said, no, we don't want to do it either. And then the label says, do this. It's going to be a big hit. And Chrissy Hind, who was married to Jim Kerr, yes. lead singer of Simple Minds, says, sing the song, stupid. It's going to be a big hit. Yep. And sure enough, it was the biggest hit they ever did. Sounds like no one could foresee <laughs> that it was going to be a big hit. Oh, that's terrible. Billy Idol did eventually record it for a greatest hits package of his. Well, good for him. <laughs> Called Mistakes. Yeah, little, <laughs> little too late. The very least of Billy Idol. Let's hear Simple Minds with Don't You Forget About Me.